0: And this is what that cowboy said to me. Lips, peckers, and assholes, they're all you're gonna meet along the way. Lips, peckers, and assholes, society gets worse every single goddamn day. Welcome to the Pure Meat, Pure Gold Show. I'm your host, Alex P. Linder. And in this particular podcast, which I believe is number 000010, number 10, Hot Dog Podcast, I'm going to discuss my books. I'll go over them in a loving way. Ted Bundy used to talk about his new socks and underwear. He didn't have it, but if he'd had it, he had that attitude toward it. I'm going to talk about some of the books that have meant the most to me. I, I see them all. They're beautiful, beautiful people. They're standing by me. They're sitting there. They're laying on their side. They're full of knowledge and wisdom. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about them a little bit. That's thing one and thing two. That I'm gonna do is discuss an article that I came across on Mad Parrott and Mount Heimbach's site, written by an Orthodox priest, talking about the Orthodox view of racialism and basically making the counter case to the case I make, which is that religion and liberalism are flip sides of the same coin. He's saying the same thing. He's making the false but equivalent assertion about racialism and liberalism. That will be the main thing we'll discuss today, but I'll get to that after I get to my books, after I get to a little bit of an update about what's going on with VNN. Okay, well, first of all, In starting this off, I have not recorded a show for about two to three weeks, and this will probably be one of the last times I'll mention this. I consider it important to to stand by what you say, but I have proved completely unable to deliver on what I say about what I'm going to do via radio, except with the general promise that I will always come back and eventually do more. It just there might be a six, seven years in between. But again, that truly and genuinely was not my intention or truly my fault because I did not have the ability due to a uh, uh, personal situation. And as soon as I did regain the ability to establish a threshold level of quality my threshold is not low, it's high, because I consider your time important, and I'm not going to waste it with stuff that doesn't matter, by talking about stuff aimlessly that I don't know anything about, I wouldn't do that to you, I take your time sacred, seriously sacred, I look at it, I I hold it. I hold it sacred the way the farmer looks at the earth, and he holds it sacred the way a lot of people look at their marriage. And so, this is the last time I'll go over this. Stuff will appear when it appears. My, I will only make the general promise I will keep doing stuff. So long as I am physically able to do it, I will do it. And And I just wake up a lot of times and... I I don't know. I'm a hot house flower of this stuff. I can't. I just cannot do it. And if I can't do it, then I stick to updating stuff. If my brain's hardly working, or I write stuff. If my brain is working okay, but if I but I have to have physical energy to do this. And enough about that. I'll never say one more stupid word about it. Now, like I said, I uh, uh, I did read to update VNN. Or I loaded up more articles than I've posted in. Probably in my entire life, four or five original. Now, it wasn't all written that day. About one and a half of them were probably written that day. And the others I edited up and I dug out of my notes and posted them. I also restarted on Kirksville today. I got a little thing about the name. The guy the town is named after had a new stone made for him. The old one was, I guess, messed up. So I took some photos. I posted on Kirksville today. If I can get the format of that looking correctly, that's where I'm going to write some new fresh sort of let's say neo-spintro material. Spintros was the first thing that got VNN attention and got us readers within a matter of days I would say and it was something that I had 10 years of stored up frustration expressed through those spintros and I knew it would attract an audience and of course it did I may do a little more of those if I find stuff, but my point is I'm going to be posting that at Kirksville today. I absolutely cannot stand WordPress, but that seems to be the default. The only thing that really is going for it, which is a powerful thing, is that it allows people to respond in comments. So you can leave comments at Kirksville today. But I'm going to edit it very heavily. If you say something dumb or something repetitive or whatever, I will just delete it. That is one thing that's, pardon me, super easy to do. So... Leave quality comments or don't. It'll have a little bit of a local flavor. But as you know, everything I relate locally, I relate, unless it's just inherently interesting in itself. And, and uh, you know, I've talked about this maybe in the past, maybe years ago, there, just to make a little excursion. I used to update that regularly. We ended up losing a number of posts due to uh, some uh, invasive holes that WordPress can leave but you'll find little interesting local things that you aren't even aware about because there's so little real reporting in this country. Most cities, even large ones, are one paper towns. And the reporters only pursue an agenda so even when they write about a story, most stories aren't written about, most stories that are written about are written to a template so that you could literally have a computer write the story. All you would need is To fill in the particular details, and the computer would know like, okay, crime story involving different races, we write it this way. That's what a template means. It's like the newspapers are like basically mad libs, except less sane and considerably funnier in some ways, but completely predictable. You just fill in adjectives, nouns, whatever, but the template, the agenda is 100% predictable. You always know what they're going to say. It's absolute lockstep. It's, that's, that's what TASS was in the Soviet Union, and so it is in America today. So it must be for the tiny majority hostile elites who control the country. They have to brainwash people by training them the right way to think. So what they say in their media is what you're supposed to repeat and report yourself. Talk about among your friends, and they're trying to train people not to see what's going on. Anyway, uh, so I loaded up an article. I wrote an article on writing. I ran out of words for my on-language column. So until I restock some, I'm going to have to let that go. I've written about 10 of those columns. They always appear each Monday about uh, 12 p.m. I've been faithful on that. I've got, and most of them are thousands of words long. We discuss words and their definitions and how to use words. Subject of great interest to me. And on writing, I, I take, I look at certain specific topics within writing or have some of my own ideas about how writing can be improved. Even if you don't have a genuine artistic streak, as someone has the ability to sing or to paint or to, I suppose, sculpture things, some people have the ability to combine words, but even those who don't can learn certain little uh, techniques and tricks. And I discuss one of them in this column, which is basically taking a... I, I, I point out that cliché is a much broader thing than it's generally considered. Any sort of set combination, you can subtly alter one of the terms so that you have something slightly different of a slightly different meaning that brings out a different aspect in the thing you're talking about. Anyway, I go into that in the column. And what else did I post? I posted a what I called an ID midden. A midden is like, uh, you know, where they discard stuff or like a midden of uh, of archaeological artifacts where they where they nap flint and such or they threw away their uh, their bones and just something full of fertilizer and, and stuff you'd find in a dump, some interesting, some useful, some just garbage perhaps. But I cleared out some of my notebook. I still have a bunch more from notes I've been collating here for <laughs> the better part of a year, but it's a 10-year probably backlog of notes got a lot of them cleared but I still have more and I'll do that again. ID is just how my grandmother used to pronounce idea. Maybe it's a midwestern thing. I got an ID to I've got an ID to go to 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 do this. So I called ID midden. And oh, what were the two or three other things I posted? Hmm, let me uh Yes, okay. Another thing I posted was my first or second, I think it is, on strategy column. So I was a column on language, column on writing, column on strategy. When football comes around, I'll write another column on the NFL and race. But uh, in the on strategy, I talked about some of the differences in the culture of, of people in the North compared to the South. And I know people get a little agitated when I go off on Southerners and I use them as a sort of a whipping boy. And I understand they get agitated. What I always find wryly amusing is that people seem to think, or Southerners seem to think, I'm, I do that to contrast the Southerners with the Midwesterners. Nothing could be less true than that, because the the, the Midwest, at least, the part of that I'm familiar with is like a watered-down South. It's marginally less religious. It's marginally less slow-witted, I suppose you'd say. It's marginally less willing to uh, get into fights over nothing. Uh, but uh, so nothing I've written should ever be <laughs> construed to defend the Midwest or to a- advance the Midwest against the South. Not not at all. Not not in, in any way, shape, or form. But of course, it's useless to say that to people. They have preset ideas. Anyway, in the look north, I, I sort of contrasted. One of the things that the Southerners always, the Southern intellectuals, always notice and denounce about the North is how innovative it is, how it comes up with all these ideas, and 99% of them are terrible. And I don't particularly disagree with that. They exaggerate a little bit, but certainly in the sphere of religion and and morality, most of what they've generated is, is pretty bad. I mean, they can even take something like a campaign against drinking and get it wrong and this comes from the desire to inflict perfection upon the earth when when the correct attitude towards matters human and matters political is to acknowledge that what well, we what almost all of us think of as bad can only be limited it can't be stamped out and when you try to stamp it out you create conditions that are worse than what you started with And so it was with drinking and prohibition. That was originally a WASP female temperance campaign. Get people to stop drinking because drinking has bad effects. Well, that's undeniable. Drinking does have bad effects. But (laughs) people are such that they're not going to stop drinking. When they tried to stop drinking and made it illegal, they didn't really succeed. They just simply drove it underground, which greatly aided criminals and created actually criminal gangs, or at least greatly exacerbated criminal activity and it led to the proliferation of gangs. And it's exactly the same thing if you go and read the history of drug prohibition with, with marijuana and such, cocaine and such, in Mexico, what was a fairly small-time operation, became heavily, hugely profitable and soon got to a level of a uh, Basically, military-level technology and, uh, and killing involved, all because uh, of people moralizing. Although, actually, in temperance, the temperance movement was more moralizing. The drug prohibition was more driven by people, from what I understand, if the sources I read are accurate, by people who wanted to make hemp products illegal because it, it competed with their market. I don't know what other market, cotton or something else, some other kind of fiber. I probably got that wrong, so don't quote me on that. But it had, it didn't come out of a moral thing quite as much. The moral thing was added on later to where, oh, you know, reefer madness and pot's going to drive you crazy. So drug and prohibition doesn't work. But anyway, this is examples of the moralizing of the North. It's lamented by the South, which is really too dumb and, and kind of inertia, inertial, let's say, to, to come up with new ideas on its own. So they just kind of sit there and they're, porch and go man them boys are crazy up there they're crazy and that's true and this is what this is kind of what we're cursed with now in my column on strategy called look north white man i pointed out that in line with a leftist desiderata things they want uh an all-white society is or would be cleaner neater more interesting, that is the lower common denominator, intellectual and cultural is higher. You know, Leftists like to live around cities because they fancy they're educated folk, and they, they are, many of them. Uh, more intellectual, quieter, better for the environment, better for animals, less taxing on resources, water, power, air, better for women, for white women, better for the poor, better for the white poor. They have better examples around them, not just niggers that they tend to fall into because about a one-sixth of whites are intellectually on that level, leaving apart the other the other uh, genetic differences between blacks and whites beyond the intellectual. Uh, there'd be fewer unwanted children. There'd be fewer abortions. There'd be fewer people if we were in an all-white nation. Uh, there'd be more diversity because uh, whites would exist as whites. They wouldn't be blended into these... Tan every man, as has been said, and also we'd be on the right page of, of of science, which would surely mean that we are on the right page of history, because what the HBD folks have noticed, and I will repeat this later when we're discussing the religious crank's view of racialism, is that HBD, human biodiversity, when they they have a good presence on Twitter. I don't follow them closely, but I follow them just closely enough to to pick up on the main points because, you know, in the usual way of irony, although I'm on the side of racial science and all, I'm not really particularly interested in racial science. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'll get more into that later either. But uh, what the HBD people say is that evolution is processing now. In the last 10,000 years, people have evolved more than they did before then for a couple million years, so... Racialism is on the side of science, which means it must be on the side of history. And the leftists are obsessed with being the right side of history. So right there, I've given you a a laundry list. I've given you 10, 12 things where the white cause is not inherently at odds with leftism or what leftists claim they want. It would seem to be on the same side. More into this later, but I talk about it in my column and then I, I cite in there an example of where the Republicans are heading off in the diversity direction, even though 90% of their votes come from whites. Talk about other stuff like that, I I say in bold letters. They can't win when they're the 90% majority. I'm talking about Christians or conservatives or whatever you want to call them. Oh yeah, then I have uh, book notes and I have movie notes. These are when I don't write a full review, but uh, just stuff I've been reading lately or some stuff that I had read when my when I was without a computer a couple of years ago I'd never added. Also some notes on that 100-page Leftist mapping, get that mapping, kind of, kind of threatening, not so vaguely threatening, isn't it, of Greece by, I guess it was sponsored by the Ru- Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung. She was a Jewish communist fomenting communist revolution in Germany until she got killed and thrown in a canal. And I've been trying to get someone to paint me a picture of her dead body floating in the canal. I think it would look awesome in my main room. Someone promised me they were going to do it, and then they didn't do it. It's it's always been a pain to me. If I could paint, and that is the one talent I I am without that really would be useful. If I could paint, I would paint that. That beautiful scene. Anyhow, the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung, which is, I forget what a stiftung is, but it's like an organization or association or something that funds this report written by Greeks, by native Greeks, I believe, or Greeks in Germany, or Greeks with German funds. And they really, if you want to get a sense of what's going on in Greece and how the left sees the right, I urge you to read that. And I posted that PDF in that our, our updated Greek thread that has half a million views plus and growing and uh, other places. Also, we have a sticky thread on PDFs in this kind of report. And I want to say parenthetically, I also added uh, a bunch of books in PDF form to our ADL thread. What I'm going to do is combine all the ADL threads. This is the 100-year anniversary year. Of the ADL's, uh, I think, formation. And it was formed on the basis of protecting Jew pedophile murderer Leo Frank. And so we, we pull together all of the anti ADL knowledge that's ever existed and we'll put it into one thread. Right now we have two or three main threads, but I'm going to combine them later on. Anyway, in my book notes, probably the third thing I posted is so on strategy, you've got on writing. So I'm telling you, here's how you write. Here's how we do our politics so that we regain white sovereignty. Here are some notes uh, of interest to racialists and others on books I've read. And I cover Scoop, Evelyn Waugh, uh, some, some fiction by, or actually nonfiction by, Joe Wambaugh, the author of The Onion Field and the Choir Boys, Reproducing a Rape, an interesting uh, leftist discussion of how modes of patriarchy are permeated all through the court system and how the very language and the, and the organization of court facticity or, or performance in action reproduces patriarchal modes of domination. This guy is a master of the. it really is fascinating and I can mimic most stuff like a minor bird but this stuff is goddamn hard to mimic but uh, it, it, it's pretty interesting now how it could be different, I go into this in my little thumb- these are thumbnail reviews I don't give them full reviews and a couple other books and then I give another uh, 10 movies I've seen. I don't watch TV these days <laughs> I do kind of miss it. I felt a little away from stuff, you know. Every every time I turn around, there's some mass shooting. So I see oh Jesus, some dude in Vegas was shooting some people. What the hell's going on? You no, know, uh, I, I feel a little I feel a little naked without the TV, but uh, it does let me see more movies. So I watched another ten. Probably the most significant to racialists, Fruitvale Station. And it's basically fiction. It's backed by all the leftists, and it's got some black money and uh, everything involved with California. It's just the story of this nigger who, was, of course, he was turning his life around when he was accidentally shot by a cop. Now, I would not absolve the cop. There needs to be some. This cop is basically of a German background. He had a, he was something like 95th percentile in his cop class, but he he goes to taser this nigger in some kind of altercation at the Fruitville Station on the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transport Transportation up there in the San Francisco-Oakland area. And he, uh, instead of pulling out his taser gun, he pulls out his gun and shoots the nigger dead. And there's already, it's already been to court. This happened a few years ago, I think 2009-something. It's already been to court. They've already given a million-dollar settlement to his family. But uh, they're not done trying to make propaganda out of it. And I point out that, you know, basically at the very end of the film they notice that it's all it's all made up certain characters may be composite certain scenes may never have happened they just they essentially made it did the usual template they do in in stories about blacks being shot on the street usually by other blacks they they were on the verge of turning their life around you know how it's always that way then a number of other movies i saw and so those are that's the stuff i posted and as i said i uh Added stuff to the ADL thread. There's four or five books. I believe five books. Some uh, One might be a little shorter than that in PDF form. And any good PDF stuff I come across. Uh, one other thing. I don't know if I ever mentioned this last time I was on the air. But the uh, in that same PDF thread, which is located in this just in, there is an excellent New York Times internal report on how they need to adapt to take advantage of the changing media situation, particularly with regard to online and particularly with regard on online to social media. And it really is kind of a state of the uh, state of the media report. I encourage uh, people to read that who have a, an interest in a deeper understanding of this stuff, very much as I encourage you to read the uh, Rosa Luxemburg Jew-Communist Stiftung's report on extreme rightism, in Greece to give yourself a better understanding of how the left sees the right in Greece and just Greek historical background which is is not uh most people will not be super familiar with unless they've deliberately gone out and uh, acquainted them I'm I myself am going to do uh maybe get to start to learn Greek I downloaded a little stuff I'm going to start seeing if I uh, just how, how easy it is to pick up some of the uh, some of the words in it a little bit difficult cuz it has a non uh Latin language like the Romance ones do and the English and the Germanic ones I'm familiar with. But uh it would be nice to read some of the Greek stuff in Greek. But that's a personal growth thing, you know, that will have political advantages. Of course, you know, the religious folks, conservatives don't believe in uh, self-help or personal growth. And I have limited belief in it My attitude is always if you tell your finger to move and it moves, there's all the God you need. Oh, but that's fatuous. That's superficial, even supercilious. In addition to being silly and wrong and presumptuous and arrogant, how dare you say that when you tell your finger to move, it moves and draw a greater conclusion from it? It's absurd. All right. And yeah. Finally, I want to say before moving on, I read I read all the reaction that I get to these shows, and people send me uh, good stuff they find elsewhere, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, particularly tracking sort of the alt right, and as I say, we're always trying to lift and elevate, lift and separate our cause from professional conservatism, and that's obviously one of my main concerns because of my background and what I know. People say uh, read Alinsky and talk about it. Mm. I may do that. I mean, there's some value to it. My view is most of these strategies, it's it's somewhat as it is with the homosexual strategy that I discussed at great length in one of the earlier podcasts on these news sessions, is that you need to have media backing you in order to do the isolation and the, the stigmatization and the demonization effectively. There's no way that someone like Barack Obama becomes president without the media and without these Jewish uh, billionaires behind him. It doesn't happen he's better to be seen as a function of that than some kind of world-beating historical political genius. I mean that might make a little a little more sense for someone like Bill Clinton but not for Barack Obama. Okay, anyway, let's let's move along. That's kind of what's been going on on VNN this week as we head towards summer. I am going to uh talk about my books, and then I'm going to talk about this racialist article. People also say some people like shorter shows, some people like longer ones. So just because it's hard for me to get uh, to get everything feeling right. The technical's got to be right, the physical's got to be right, the mind's got to be right for me to do this show. Whereas I can write even if I'm feeling bad or feeling off. Writing is kind of like baseball. You don't really have to be that healthy to do it because it's not really, it doesn't really, it's not really that athletic. It's It's kind of like A a game involving coordination, but but recording stuff to me is like playing basketball or football. You got to be wholly into it, or you're going to get knocked in your ass. You just don't do it. Baseball, you can you can. I played baseball many games when I was sick and had a very good game, because it simply doesn't take that much effort. I can write under almost any circumstance, or at least you know update and curate stuff. I may not be able to produce great original stuff. Unless I can concentrate, and, and to produce the best stuff, you need the deepest level of concentration. And that does require good health, but for just ordinary or subpar feeling, you can write. But I, I think doing radio is another thing altogether. Maybe if you have a three-man morning show, and your basic job is to cackle in support of the host, I suppose you could do that, even with a, a cold or or feeling angry about something else. But I, I, I'll admit, I'm a kind of a hot house flower on, on the radio stuff. I every condition's got to be just right. And then I can do it. And if they're not right, I just flat won't do it. So anything I say about when shit's going to come out, I wouldn't really listen to it. And having to face that unfortunate humiliating truth, I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to come out with new stuff other than the most broadest general sense, I will keep doing it whenever I can do it. And also people say they want it briefer stuff. Look, because I've had a lot of problems getting started sometimes i when I do get going, I like to run on as long as I can for without destroying my voice, but it's also like kind of having pent up things to say from not having done this for several years, but eventually I'll get to where I do stuff of a certain length and i'll probably I'll get stuff done within one hour or about an hour and forty minutes seems to be a pretty natural. I notice a lot of these shows seem to come up about an hour and 40 minutes so that seems to be some kind of natural breaking point probably just for me personally the podcast i don't listen to a lot of podcasts but the ones i do are uh top of the line professional controlled junk media stuff they almost always run about an hour so that's clearly an acceptable format however i personally find myself since i don't listen to a whole lot i listen to the ones that i listen to i do like i wouldn't have any problem at all if they ran 2 hours but generally, they run 45 minutes to an hour, let's say. <clears throat> and the problem I have, for those who think it ought to be briefer is that they're too superficial. They don't go, I want them to go into stuff longer. If I'm hearing someone talk about something I like that interests me, man, they can talk for hours and hours on it. Go into it purely in depth. Where where do you get in this society someone who takes the time to talk to you and explain to you what's actually going on? I think, I think I don't know, maybe I felt starved for that as a child. I never had people like telling me like, really cool stores or, or who, and not because they, they didn't or couldn't, they just didn't know, it. they didn't know this kind of stuff that interested me. And there was no internet back then. And I didn't know where to find anything except, you know, in, in a book and some of the stuff I'd ever heard of. It wasn't even in the books I found in the library. And I'd spend hours, even when I went to the library, not just picking books, but just looking at the books, looking at 50 or 60 different titles, looking at through all the different sections and seeing how the library is laid out. And seeing who these authors were, and thinking about, well, how should I should read this? I should read this. I could read this. Have stuff in the background of my mind. Once I'm through reading about these books, then I'll I'll read these other books. And reading everything and interest in me stuff about mysteries and shark attacks, and snakes. I read basically everything there was to read on snakes when I was a young kid. But uh, that having an interest in biology in particular. But uh. I think that – what was the example I was going to use? Oh, here's here's an example of how different the world is today. So today – yes. so yesterday, I hadn't been on Twitter for a few days because I get up – I like to get up early on Monday and I crank out, get that column done. like boom. Even if nothing else happens later this week, I got this column done. It was fucking awesome. There's – people love writing about language, or at least I think they should. I like writing about it. I like hearing about it. I like reading a number of people, Mencken and uh, – it was that, that Japanese guy, Hayakawa, who's a senator, used to write about language. William Sapphire used to write about language. Who was the other guy? Russell uh Russell uh I think my My, my mom used to read him. Who was it? Not William Sapphire, he was the he was the Jew, but uh Russell what was that dude's last name? He he died at some point but he used to write about language too. I've got a number and and we'll get right into this, this is dovetailing Taylor's segue very nicely into talking about some of the books I've got here near me. But uh, it's intensely interesting stuff to me and I've never found, you know, you, even when you take English, there's people don't really talk about it. All they do is bring out a few terms like onomatopoeia. That's when a word sounds like what it is like a babbling brook and you're like, uh, "Okay, that's great." So there's there's a Greek term for every possible technical thing. Every single rhetorical technique that's out there was known to the Greeks, and they had a term for it, but so what? The point is to be able to use them, not to identify them. The words are extremely hard to remember for anyone who's not a specialist in that. The point is whether you can do it or not in that regard. So that's why when I write about language, I write about words that are at the level where if you knew it, you could use it. I don't dig up obscure stuff because it's obscure. That would be like a leftist liking a band because no one else has heard of it rather than because it produces good music. And I don't dig up archaic stuff because I think the Middle Ages are cool. I don't think the Middle Ages are cool. I don't think Renaissance fairs are cool. I Frankly, I remember being forced to dress up for some in green tights for some faggoty English thing. We had—I remember—I was going to have to do. We had some Renaissance fear. I remember being so glad when we moved from Illinois to Utah that I was going to avoid my my English classes. Uh, I don't know what we had. Some we were going to have some Shakespearean thing or something. I just remember being so happy I didn't have to go through the fagotry. I know there's there's people. There's nothing wrong if you like dressing up like that. Everyone loves a, a nice buxom chick in one of those lace-up tops. I mean, that's the that's the real reason for renaissance fairs. Basically, that's the undeclared reason for renaissance fairs. There, there is no other. I mean, oh, eating a giant turkey, like, that's fucking thrilling. I do that every spring when my boys get some turkeys, you know, cook them up. But, uh, you know, that that ain't such a big thrill. That meat is extremely tough even after you crockpot it. But I don't let it go to waste. But uh, and anyway, don't get me started on this Renaissance fair. But uh, I lost my train of thought there a little bit. I'm talking, I'm talking about words. So, so you get people discussing this stuff in depth. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I just don't see it anywhere else. I don't. I want people telling me these things. I want them telling me these stories. How did this stuff come to be this way? Oh, here's, here's what it was. So yesterday, I'm on Twitter, which I hadn't been on for a few days because I was doing this other stuff. And who, who uh, this kid's like, I had tweeted out, I had tweeted out about The Ordeal of Civility by John Murray Cudahy, and I've often said, and again, I, I really apologize for this, I've not got the epiphany thread started, but I've been using my subconscious to dig up my epiphanies and near epiphanies, and so eventually I will write this up, and it will be a good thing, but I'm collecting them right now, and I keep, I keep thinking, of them. I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, I forgot totally forgot about that. So... The book that led to my deep understanding of Jews was this book, The Ordeal of Civility, written about 1975. I believe it was an award winner by this guy who was, a, he was either Irish Catholic or Irish Protestant, but he's an irish descended guy who lived in New York, and he was, he was a family of this kind of elite, pretty elite. So There's not just Jew elites in New York City. There's, there's Protestant and uh, Irish Catholic elites as well. And this was the first guy where he really showed the deep pattern that applied to Marx and and Levi-Strauss and Freud and a a number of other Jews, and you're like, oh, wow. Like, I'd always realized Jews were liberals, but this really tied into in a pattern. It's kind of like a culture of critique 20, 30 years before MacDonald wrote that book. And it had a slightly different direction. It had a slightly different tone, but it had the same, to me, if you knew about Jews and you'd interacted with them and had hostile dealings with them, as I had in college, this book really, like, Lit, an epiphany is when the light bulb goes on over your head, like "Oh, oh!" Uh, think of that, uh, <laughs> that Jew. Think of, think of that reaction when uh, that Jew in, in, the, in that rat race or road race article, and his kid's like, "You got to pull over, man! I'm Prairie Dog in here." He's like, "He's like, oh, he's like, oh, oh!" When he realized, that's what a fucking epiphany is when, you, when something shocks you. You have a deep, full understanding, you know, of, of like the Jew isn't just some liberal thing who's obnoxious in the way of some ill-deposited gum wrapper that's dirtying the scene. The Jew is a poisonous mushroom that's springing up everywhere, polluting the earth, soil, and sky. And he's all networked together. And there's like a common tap through all these evil mushrooms popping up around the world. And this book is like digging into the soil. I, I, the metaphor is a little off, but you dig into the soil and you see, oh, all this, all this crap is completely connected. It's the like the taproot of all these vile weeds that spring up is the Jew. And I not definitely not fully realized that. And that was the book. So, so the cool thing was, so this kid's like, oh, you like that book? Because I tweeted about it. It's like that guy who wrote that. It's my father. And he hasn't responded to me. i responded to him since. But, I mean, how cool is that on Twitter? You could find I, – I believe the man who wrote it, John Murray Cudahy, is dead, I think. But you know what? In honor of that, we will eventually get to – I will discuss on one of these shows uh, his other book, which I've read only part of, which is somewhat in a similar vein, except it looks at Protestants. And uh, it's called No Offense. And we will we'll give that a read and a uh, a, a discussion on one of these uh, hot dog podcasts. But any anyway, that's that's a cool sort of thing. Imagine this stuff was not around when I, when I was growing up and learning this stuff, 70s, 80s. There was nothing like this. Internet didn't get going till really going till the mid 90s. There wasn't any Twitter. There wasn't any Facebook back then. But uh, I I really think Twitter is a good thing, and this is one of the good examples. Hell, another good example was. I tweeted out something, and uh, what it is is all these people are searching their own name. I tweeted out that Rockford Files thing. I always kind of like that show. I know the guy's a leftist. I tweeted out that part where Jim's Rockford goes best line in Rockford. You know what you are. He's all angry at, at the guy, and then he's like, then he realizes he's like, you dude, do, don't you? <laughs> he's just laughing, and they they retweeted that. Rockford, or him, or his wife, or I don't know. He's an old guy now, but I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But uh, that shows you how close these things are. The only other famous encounter I had on Twitter was uh, I had some uh, fake name briefly. And I twitted something to Martina Navrilova, who's just endlessly, in one way, I really respect her. Because A, very tough-minded, ultimate, uh, nail every detail down to get it right, just tough, dominant type. On the other hand, she's a complete leftist, but she's totally intellectually engaged, very interested in up on stuff, and she just kept tweeting over and over. She kept tweeting leftist stuff, and i finally I tweeted like, "Why do you come over here and try to reproduce communist Czechoslovakia?" And I, you know, I was deliberately trying to tweak her by by calling her a communist. No com, not a communist. She did respond immediately, not a communist, you know, something like that basically. But uh, I fancy I made my point with her gets irritating though you know why don't you stay over there if, if you want to live in, the, in that kind of a world you know you don't let anyone do anything you force them to go along with everything you know force them to accept sex deviance and the rest of it i don't like being forced to do stuff To be forced to be good or forced you know there are legitimate ways in which people can be limited Mainly from aggressing against other people. But beyond that, you know, I'm not big on force. Whether it's from anti-white Jews or whether it's from pro-whites. It's one of the irritating things about, uh, you know, I'm not a Nazi, but uh, the Jews have made Nazis the most hated thing. So that if you say I'm not a Nazi, people immediately think you're saying that because you're scared to admit what you really are. That's highly irritating. That is a cross that a decentralist, anti-Jew like me must bear, but I do not bear it grinningly. I bear it angrily. Anyway, CZ, you want me to you want me to limit? I've I spent 40 minutes here, buddy, and I haven't even got to what the first thing of the two I was gonna discuss. So that's just how it is, I guess. I mean, uh, I hope in time I would like. You know, there's two ways to do things say you're running a business you come up with something new that's one thing but that's pretty hard another way is to take an existing model and just knock it off someone else is doing something that makes money you do it okay the parallel here in in these discussions these podcasts would be okay well look at the ones that have all the the listeners and the views what do they do they do an hour or two so do that yourself Do that yourself with better content and less commercial breaks, and maybe you have something, right? So that's probably what I do. Now, occasionally i rip off a four-hour one because the main reason I might go that long, and it does kind of risk your uh, your voice, is uh, just fear I'll lose my train of thought. It's hard to get into some of this stuff past a certain level. And when it's all fresh in my mind, I really like to go through all of it. And I mean, hell, if there's a four-hour podcast, just listen to an hour of it. If, If you get sick of it, throw it out. I'll make more podcasts, but I'm always going to put the quality in. If I go four hours, I mean, so what? It's not that big of a deal. So I'll do what I do, but I do appreciate all reaction, uh, positive, negative, critical, helpful, whatever I think about it. Even if I don't really like it, sometimes just an idea will – I'll be like, well – I was thinking like, well, you know, the reason I don't talk about Mencken or Twain, what am I going to say? I'm going to gush like I said like that. Matt Farley here, oh, isn't this great? Do you remember when you wrote that story the Mysterious? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, I mean, what? I'm oriented primarily towards identifying stuff and criticizing it. And then you, my, my the basic assumption is let's assume that we want to do the best we can. Let's assume we know that we're all flawed. We assume we're all trying to get better. Instead, we could be like your average person, be super prickly and defensive, and if anything suggests something's wrong with us, then we get super offended, and you pricked our sense of honor. That's why I mainly don't like to... The guy even said this straight out. I think it was in Wild Strawberries, Ingmar Bergman. In our relations with others, we mainly criticize them. Therefore, I have chosen to withdraw from nearly all human <laughs> human intercourse. Uh, he used a different word than intercourse, but... uh interaction or I forget what it was exactly that was his point like people can't stand women think you're attacking them personally if you have a critical analytical bent as with masturbation you'd best exercise it in private because no one wants to fucking hear it all they want to hear is how freaking great they are and uh I ain't that type. I already know how great I am I already know what's wrong with me. I already know the best way to criticize me. And so, although I listen to what other people say, there aren't that many people whose opinion about the stuff I care about is worth hearing. Now, there's stuff about more commonplace stuff that I don't really care that much about is more valuable. I mean, if a certain percentage of people really want stuff that's like a half hour or an hour, I will take that into account. I don't know if I could even do a half hour because the only way I could do a half hour is over reading something that I wrote. It's just, it really is too short even to get, I mean, I've gone almost 45 minutes and I haven't even started to say what I had to say. But uh, the last thing I want to say is preferatory material is thank you to the person who gave me the computer stuff so that I have, uh, I don't have to be holding the thing up to my mouth. Now, you know me, I'm not particularly technically competent. And that means I think that I can adjust the speaker on these headphones and I think I have it a little louder than it was I know it was a little soft still I don't want Varg to have to go through and up the sound on it and I want to record it so it's good and listenable I I hope that I've done it it's not always exactly the same in the in the way that what I do and I hear it it sounds good to me but sometimes when I put it on the uh I put it on the server it's a little soft so you can react to the technical quality of this broadcast but it should be a little bit better because I have a little bit better equipment thanks to someone who uh donated them to me and I'm very very grateful for that. So I've been using the same microphone for years and my my old radio shack headphones were great for years but they finally crapped out. I was just using my external mic but uh, anyway, that's all settled. So now let's 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 segue into the books and I'll I'll due to faulty wiring I was forced to move about 1000 of my uh My books. My personal book collection is only about a 1,000. That's a lot for the average person. It's not very much for genuine academics or uh, or writers even, but I have limited room, so I'm not really focused on building up more. Of course, I've read many more books than that. I've read 90% of the books I have, and the ones I have not read, yeah, see, there it is. There it is up on the shelf. I was looking for it on a different shelf. Uh, I have no offense by uh, John Murray Cudahy. We will get to that and discuss that in one of our chats. But right now, so now I'm looking at my main books. And I'm going to eventually sell about half my books. I don't really want more than about 500 and then just new ones that come in that I can write about, but then get rid of. So that way it won't take up quite so much space. But, uh, and I mainly want books that I can turn into something useful for the forum or for editorial review. Anyway, so. Since I was somewhat forced to semi-relocate stuff, I took advantage of it. And so now what I have is two bookcases made by some guy in town. I got these years ago at a garage sale, like five bucks a piece. They are super solid. They're like welded metal. They're not pretty, but they're super, super strong. And they're so much better than the the $50 crap you buy at Walmart. And uh, now what I did... So I was able to kind of divide them up, and these are the books I got right next to me, some of my very best books. I'm just going to talk about them a little bit for as many minutes as I feel like I want to spend with them, and then we'll move on to the article, and that will comprise this uh, podcast. And then I'm going to do another podcast. Hopefully, I'll do it tomorrow. <clears throat> if not, it will be the next one I do that will be sort of a pervarg's Vargs uh, mention of Mencken appreciation, I'm going to, uh, see, you see, Vargas initially, did it, I'm like, I don't want to do that, I don't write about Mencken or The Mysterious Stranger, I, it, to me, it's self-apparent, and yet, and then, you know, this is what always happens, when I'm, when I'm moving stuff, I find some Mencken books, and inevitably, I flop down, and I just read some Mencken, and I can't stop reading it, because it's so freaking good, there's a little, modest little, it's honestly like a, like a super, super low-level orgasm that's drawn out for hours it's actually better than most sex genuinely it is if you understand if you have an ear for writing and not just for sound but sense but the perfect combination in the way that poetry tries to achieve but never really does or maybe I suppose it achieves it with people who like poetry I appreciate poetry. I can see the the verbal ability involved in creating actual poetry, which is an extremely rare ability. But uh, it just leaves me cold. It doesn't do anything for me. Whereas actual prose, mastery, when it's about stuff that I care about, that's interesting to me. Anyway, going through this, I found stuff that's just funny. I found some essays I can talk about, some stuff he wrote in his own selection of Mencken Crestomathy. His own selection of his choicest writings, which is one of maybe 20 or 30 books I have by or about Mencken. So I will attempt that in the next podcast. But for this one, we'll just deal with the article and with these books. So, okay, so I'm like, how should I revise, How should I arrange my books so that they'd be most useful? Because before I just had my best one. So what I have is up top. So I have, okay, let's see, one, two, three four, five, six, seven shelves, and the very top of the top shelf, I have one on the other, they're stacked, two cases stacked, so that makes eight shelves if you count putting stuff on the top. So on the very top, I put my books about religion. I'll just go through some of these books that I have. There's probably two, three hundred books total. So in case you need something to read, maybe some of these uh, books will come to mind. Now, what have I got? I've got a Paperback, Catechism of the Catholic Church. You read some of their crazy doctrines. It's, it's always good to have guides around, especially if you're a writer. You need to refer to stuff, and you can learn stuff kind of on the fly. And what I've, said, what, I've said about, uh, what I've said about college is that it's basically a debt scam, but if you are going to go and you're not going to study hard science or something that's going to make you money, I mean, if you're not going to go to a Votech or something, some of the most useful stuff you will learn will be about religion, because religion is the obsession of seemingly about 90% of mankind. And you have to know how they think. And I definitely wish I had a better intellectual background in it. Uh, And I never took any classes in it. In general, if you're going to go into liberal arts, you're better to major in English than almost anything else. Better than English than government or history. Better history than government, but better English than either of those because the stuff you read in English at least will mostly be great stuff. The stuff you read in history will mostly just be leftist stuff, which is pretty much worthless. The stuff you'll get in economics is also mostly worthless because, uh, like I've written, they won't tell you the truth about the Fed or anything else. I took lots of economics classes. Useless. I ran a business. Nothing you learn in economics helps you with business. Now, something you would learn in finance or accounting, that could conceivably help you in business. But then again, if, if you're able to produce a profit, I mean, knowing how to invest that profit, you could do all that without having an academic background. Uh, any, anyhow, so I got a book, uh, Early Christian Doctrines. I've never made my way through that yet. Got a copy of the Bible. I got uh, The Great Religious Leaders. The True Believer by Eric Hoffer. That's a book worth reading. Everyone who wants to understand leftism or people who are really into political causes in general should read that book and, and take what he says into account. He says, faith in a cause is a substitute for lost faith in oneself, was his opinion. And he aimed it more at left-wing people, but I suppose it could apply to anyone. Worth reading. Who wrote the New Testament? That's by a guy who's a skeptic. I have read that. Uh, it's interesting, I guess. I don't remember all that much from it other than that, you know... Only X amount is known, and there's just not a whole heck of a lot of conclusions that can be drawn about that stuff. Here's a book that came out in the 50s. This is mentioned by E. Michael Jones. Paul, I think it's Blanchard, is it? Uh, Communism, Democracy, and Catholic Power. Now, this covers some of the territory that E. Michael Jones covers in his tomes about Jews. (coughs) when he gets into the 20th century and he talks about how Protestants and Jews destroyed Catholic ethnic parishes around the major cities. They were afraid of... The the Catholics' theme is always that they were afraid of the rising... the Protestant elite around the country. And he talks about them more than he even talks about the Jews. Were afraid of the going Catholic demographic power because they, they lived around cities. They had a lot of kids. And so they combined... They bought off the leaders of the Catholic Church, people like the uh, Hesburgh at Notre Dame in order to blunt that growing power and effectively turn the Catholics into suburbanites. Uh, and so this book would cover a lot of the same territory as E. Michael Jones, but I believe this guy was very much against the Catholics. I have not fully read that book, but I think he's one of the guys that, uh, he, he's essentially giving voice to the Protestant fears that E. Michael Jones is writing about from the opposite Perspective again, that's Paul. Yeah, it'd be so nice if my eyes worked. Paul Blanchard. Communism, Democracy, and Catholic Power. And I just found that somewhere. And I recalled that... uh, I recalled that... uh, E. Michael Jones had mentioned it. Now... Oh, what else do we have here? We got the philosophy of Alfred Rosenberg. Okay, that's mildly interesting. That's about how... Sort of involves... Rosenberg and what the Nazis were going to do with uh, Christianity. Their long-term plan was to have it kind of be superseded by a more Aryan doctrine. First to prune, to try to turn Jesus into like a supreme Nordic figure, to Nordicize Christianity, to downplay, or ultimately uh, completely get rid of the Semitic elements and replace it with a Nordicized Jesus... But I don't think Hitler even gave it that much credence. He had other things to worry about. They saw, I believe he saw Christianity as something basically anti-Aryan. Something that needed to be not so much replaced as superseded. And something that he could worry about after the war. But it never got to the point where they could uh, fully implement their plans. Still, it can be interesting. I've read a few books about... uh, Rosenberg there's not a heck of a lot of great ones. I can't remember there was one other one I read I can't remember what it was, but uh, yeah, you read that I think Hitler kind of rolled his eyes at Rosenberg and let him kind of run his own way but uh I don't think he really saw that much salvageable in uh in Christianity now, what else have I got here? Okay, I've got a church manual uh of uh, Christian Science Church from when I was a kid. Yeah, Science and health, key to the scriptures. Mary Baker Eddy was uh, supposedly one of the genuine American-founded revel- uh, religion, founded by a woman, pretty disagreeable, dislikable woman, like many uh, wasp Protestant types, but a very shrewd businesswoman. Another book I have on my religious shelf is, uh, Mark Twain actually wrote a book on Christian science. I paid like 25 or 40 bucks for that. It's very hard to find. And that was kind of his takeaway, was that she was a very shrewd businesswoman, but she had a couple of husbands. They were One of them was, like, I think, like killed in the war. Or after the war, he came back, and he didn't, he didn't want to live with her. She was so disagreeable. And uh, she kept living with friends, and none of them really uh, really liked her much, so she was always kind of in the outs. But finally, she developed these lessons, and these crank New Englanders is just a, sort of a form of faith healing. Ultimately, it's just the, the belief. This is the, the one interesting in and genuinely unusual, perhaps even unique. I can't think of another example of dogmatic WASP liberalism uh, not being coercive. This is the odd thing. Christian scientists don't believe in doctors, although most of them will go to a doctor. They'll, specifically, they'll go to dentists and to eye doctors. But if they have like a cold or something, they'll just call. what well, they're supposed to call a nurse practitioner and pray. Stand portal at the mind of thought, and only let good thoughts in. So you can imagine how someone like me, who is just completely the antithesis of, the, of that that way of thinking about things, but I have that heritage. I have that. I have that background in me. I suppose I even have that blood. And yet, I'm. It's completely opposed to everything that I personally believe and like. And I knew, I'm like, this is just freaking nuts. This is what drove me to be a realist. It pushed me even harder down the road I was naturally on, which is a sort of a, I don't know, er, good, earthy, peasanty realist about, you know, life and everything else. You can see that this stuff's crazy. Of course disease can come in externally. Yeah, your mind has some effect on things. But your mind doesn't cure you. You know, your mind can help you overcome. I've had my own difficulties, and I've overcome them to an extent using my mind, but not by praying about anything, by using my mind to think like, son, what happens when you go to the doctor? You come back cured of your money problem. Yeah, you you cure to your every, there's one disease every doctor can cure, and that's the problem of having excessive money in your pockets. Lawyers, too. They're they're both very good that way, very, very skilled. Trained professionals. (laughs) If you recall my <laughs> indecent illusion there. But uh, that's the only problem they're guaranteed to solve. As I like to imagine that Goth wrote. By Goth, I mean good. Uh, nature cures or nature kills. But either way, the doctor bills. And so if you go to a doctor, you're going to get a bill. Mess with the bull, young man. You're going to get the horns. And then you mess with a cow, you're going to get the udders. Now, anyway, so Mark Twain. This is something you don't know. Like you don't know that Mark Twain wrote a book about Christian Science. Isn't that isn't that something? But uh, he had actual. I don't have it in front of me, but he had some actual involvement with it. He had someone who uh, probably liked my grandmother being bitten, and you know, and the people being desperate ever come out of the coma. When you get desperate. The, it, it's kind of like being emotionally dr- it's like being physical like drunk is, if you're drunk, you'll lose your inhibitions. So things that you might want to do or might feel an appetite for destruction, as Guns and Roses call it, become much more plausible. Or you, you, don't, you don't see so much what's wrong with them or why you shouldn't do them when you're drunk. Well, so it is when you're really, really sick yeah you lose some of your ability to reason out of sheer desperation springing from physical misery and it and it could be emotional misery if it's someone next to you like your kid or your uh your husband or wife and i believe that twain had that kind of situation i can only surmise how it was with my with my grandmother cuz i didn't know she she died of ovarian cancer when she was in her she was about 57, and I believe she didn't really go to a hospital. She was a true Christian scientist. So, uh, uh, you know, people are always open to being wacky about stuff. But when you're desperate, things can be, seem more appealing. So that was how Twain kind, kind of got involved and came to know about it. But he, uh, he studied Mary Baker Eddy and wrote a book about her. But it probably wouldn't be of interest to too many of you. I know that Kievsky was, uh, was raised a Christian scientist, as I was. And maybe he's probably a little more like that. In turn, he's a little more positive. I would be more of a blacker, darker, negative type who's just like Christian science is about as far away from, from <laughs> my way of thinking and looking at the world as it's possible to be. But again, this is, in other words, it was perfect training for me to be exposed to this because it made me more of what I already was. It sharpened my view of like, this is just Insanity. It my innate belief that reality exists and that everything is not, in fact, a creation of my own head. That's wacky. That's zany. That's crazy. And so that's one of my religious books. Now, what else do I have? I have the Christ Files. That's a book by a believing Christian out of Australia. I actually wrote a long review that you can find in the original reviews in our book section. Uh, And the main thing I remember from that is like, Jesus got almost no mention by his contemporaries. Yeah, this is this is a guy who uh is a believing Christian, is a formal degreed academic, and he mentions there's something like, and I, I think I put this in the review, there's only like about eight dubious mentions of Jesus. By dubious that means you don't know if they're talking about Jesus an actual man that existed, or some other man named Jesus, or some, uh, so, someone else entirely. This is from a believer. And he also takes pains to point out that the part of the world, the area that Jesus was supposed to come from, was in fact totally Jewish. So here's a Christian admitting that Jesus, if he existed, was a Jew, which a lot of whites simply want to pretend is not the case, because they're weak. And they want to, again. When you want reality to be what you want it to be, and you just ignore contrary evidence, you might as well be a black, or a Mexican, or something, or any other, any any of the other races that believes in witch doctors. Christianity is on par with a witch doctor. It's just that fact is concealed by the fact that white culture, white genetic ability is so much higher that even when we're wrong, we're much more impressive. We can build shot. That doesn't mean that the mentality animating Chart, the uh, French, or, or you know the Cunard Dome, to cite another impressive. It doesn't mean that the mentality that that thing is built to warehouse is any less crazy. It's not. It just means that whites have a genetic ability to produce superior buildings to figure out the principles of engineering. Chart's isn't built by belief; it was built by engineers. Ah, oh, man. Summer's the best season, and anyone who says any other season is better is nuts. If you admire dead, discolored leaves, there's something wrong with you. You're stagnant in your soul. Probably stepped in a worm. Then I got another book in my religious section. Echoes of the Evidences of the Book of Mormon. You remember that guy, uh, Rich, uh, Rich Brooks? White Alert. Kind of got off the chart. He uh he sent me that book and wanted to know what I thought of that and I've read about half of it. Of course I lived in Utah for a number of years while I was in high school and uh Echoes and Evidences the Book of Mormon is kind of Mormon apologist writing about the anthropological evidence of the uh it's a fairly boring book, not particularly persuasive trying to prove that I guess the stuff that's said in the Mormon books that I haven't read actually took place. But, yeah, okay, buddy, whatever. Um, Then I've got, what else have I got? The Germanization of Early Medieval Christianity. This is a fairly famous book by a guy who was on Kevin McDonald's e-list. What's his name? James James, uh, Russell, I believe, is his name. Yeah, Russell, last name. The Germanization, and this is the point of how Christianity was kind of a veneer to the extent it was turned into a real valuable thing. It was done by uh, Germans who really Germanized Christianity, and, and Christ was seen as kind of their warrior king, as it were, before Christianity got s- as liberal as it is today. But uh, it's a good book, fairly well-known in the racialist community. I've got a couple by the two main Christian apologists of the 20th century, uh, Chesterton, What's Wrong with the World?, and Lewis's mere Christianity. I've got Screw Tape letters, not here, but somewhere else. All right, maybe it is there. Actually, I'm trying to see. Ugh. Yeah, and they're uh, they're nuts. I attack them, and their basic view of of rationality is that it's uh, dangerous, and you're a maniac if you're not spiritual in the way that they they advise you to be. That I, I'm not even kidding. That's the name of their chapter. Uh, that you're a maniac. I think the guy even talks about it in the article we're gonna we're gonna mention. But uh, yeah. Then I've got a book. T- uh, I've got the Bible. I've got Signs and Health, Mary B- Baker Eddy's book. I've got Twelve Thousand Religious Quotations. I remember buying that, thinking it would be useful, but it really wasn't. It's got a lot. Of, the quotations aren't very good. And apparently, that's a very well known. I, I later in the last year, I somehow came across a reference to that online. Apparently it's a really well-known book, but I really not. I haven't found it useful at all. I've just dragged it around. Not impressed. Wish I had the money back. I paid for it. I bought a whole bunch of books when I was flush in maybe, I don't know, 2005. And I still have. Those are the ones sometimes I write I write reviews about. But a lot of them I still have not got to. Out of the maybe 100 books of mine I have not read, I still have about... Uh, 30 that I got back at that point but I'm getting to them now yeah so these are my on my upper shelf these are my religious books and we'll leave it there because I want to talk about the article and I've already been going for maybe an hour here so you know it's good to have them around for reference sometimes you need to look up a bible verse Uh, you never know or you want to look up something Twain had to say about things but, okay, now we'll shift our attention to this article called Laying Down the Gauntlet, A Traditionalist Critique of Racism and Liberalism. It's written by someone called Orthodox Mike, and it's at tradyouth.org, which is Matt Parrott, Matt Heimbach's site. Thomas Buells is a third fellow who seems to be the, their triumvirate over there. Um I'm going to read this article and comment on it. Now I've been going already for a, uh, you see how it is. I was going to go through all my books, but uh, instead I made it through one of eight shelves. If I went through all eight, it would take at least two more hours. So I'll, I'll go through the other ones at a different time. It was good to go through my, just my upper shelf of religious books and uh, talk about the uses of the different ones in case you run across some of them or you're, or you're thinking about stuff. Uh, some good things to know. Now we'll look at the article. And the reason I when I saw this immediately, as soon as I saw, it, I'm like, oh, I got to talk about this. And the reason is, you know, this is a big theme with me. The, in this case, it's an Orthodox. This is an Orthodox Church in America, which is obviously in itself kind of kind of wacky and weird, since we associate these Orthodox churches with the nationalities of Eastern Europe, like the Greeks or the uh, the Russian or the or the Serbian Orthodox Church. I think there is. Uh, but uh, yeah, they can. It, it is universal. Christianity is universal. Orthodox can be universal. They'll admit anyone of any any stripe. Uh, you know, if you're a fetal pig with an apple in your mouth on a on a luau, and you come back to life and you learn to speak, they'll admit you. You can become an Orthodox too, you little pig. Yeah, just spit out the apple and take the communion wafer, buddy. We'll take you. You got four feet? Not a problem, man. There's plenty of little genetic freaks in India who've got four feet. We'll accept them, too, because everything with a human face is a human, buddy. See, that's, a, that's an allusion to the uh, fascist quote that not everything with a face is human. But that's very much contrary to the uh, Christian way of thinking, as, as we'll see here. This is, very, this is integrally important stuff, and I'm delighted to have the health and the ability to discuss it with you. Because I don't see anyone ever making our point of view and you know uh hold on, I gotta interrupt. But first I gotta I gotta throw in like uh Dollar General remade their Coke and now it's acceptable and at a very cheap price. I know. It's it's my one remaining vice is to drink uh coke with some lime in it, which I really like and I need that while I'm talking to you. We are gonna dig into this. Hold on. Okay, there we go. All right, getting a little, we got a little parched there. I guess you know, traditionally, if you're a writer, you're supposed to cl- you're supposed to claim that you're really inspired by alcohol and whatever. But I'm effectively a teetotaler at this point, and uh, never like beer all that much. So I'm more inspired by like house brand colas with a nice slice of lime in it. I even made a key lime pie. I like to make a key lime pie about twice a year. That's all I can stand it. Very tart, Um, fairly easy to make, but a number of annoying steps required to make it. But uh, um, my point was Dollar General successfully improved its house Coke. It had a house Coke that had a lousy flavor. It tasted like an undeclared vanilla Coke. There was a distinct note of vanilla in it. And unlike people who claim they can sense wine differences, which we know is not a fact, because they always test them and they can't tell the difference, uh, I can tell the difference between these Cokes. I'm reasonably sure if I were tested. And uh, their other, their former brand was awful because it tasted like a sort of vanilla-y and, and nasty. Now they've improved it to where it's, it's consumable, it's decent. So I praise them for that. And that's that's enough of that. And now we'll turn to this article. So again, the tradition laying down the gauntlet, a traditionalist critique of racism and liberalism. That traditionalism is is sort of this is associated with Evola, probably Spengler, and the, these people are calling themselves a Dark Enlightenment or the Neo Reaction. There's a lot of this stuff on Twitter, somewhat associated maybe with. Uh, some of the people around Johnson or who Johnson writes about, I personally don't give it a lot of stock. But because of their their growing influence, I reread Evola. I got very little out of Evola. Generally, people either do or don't get a lot out of Evola, Yaki. Who's, a, who's another one? Oh, there's one other I'm forget. It's not really Spengler. I get, I got a fair amount of Spengler, but I got almost nothing out of Yaki. And I got uh, very little out of Evola. It doesn't make sense to me. Evola's basic idea is that, oh, there was this golden age when there were these kings and all society was kind of like, like iron filings to a magnet. It was all oriented through the king who was kind of like the spiritual baton penis up into the clouds where God is and God poured directly into the king and then the king into the people. And uh, my suspicion is these people just don't like any kind of movement. They don't. They don't. These people are very much against individualism. And uh, they tend to talk down individualism the way communists talk down capitalism. And yet, I think what they're doing is distorted. Men are, to a degree, individuals. They're not just members of a collective. We shouldn't make the communist error or the libertarian error that people are purely individuals or that they're purely a collective. They're, in fact, both. They have multiple and not necessarily competing identities all that needs to be taken into account. I believe my system is the one that does that. The rest the rest don't. They want to either treat white men as white ants or treat them as uh, as gods the way the libertarians do. Matt is not a god. You didn't create yourself even, but uh, you're not an ant to be farmed by an ant farm manager either. So anyway, the point is, what this Orthodox guy has to say is basically sounds to my ear very much like what E. Michael Jones and what... Uh, uh, what was the guy's name who used to write for talking about John Smirak? The big, uh, he, he and uh, e. Michael Jones are kind of the heavyweight Catholic intellectuals that I personally am aware of who would deign occasionally to take on racial questions and state the church's position. What I'm saying is this Orthodox guy, Orthodox Mike, whose stuff they posted at uh, Trad Youth doesn't necessarily mean they agree with it 100%, I suppose. What he is saying seems to be more or less what those two said, which is basically racialism is, is evil, immoral. It means worshiping your own blood. And race isn't that important. Biology isn't that important. It's a distortion of the value or even meaning or even existence of biology to be racialist. And you should be a traditionalist in religion where, where race didn't matter that much. And yet they weren't wholly against, you know, like I said earlier, ethnic parishes. Basically, what, what the Pope has said, we know from his encyclical, is racialists or Nazis value things at more than their actual value. And that that particularly is what I disagree with. Because my argument, and I believe the argument of racialists, must be that, no, you underestimate the value of race. And I can not only argue it on my terms, I can defeat them on their terms, And I can argue against them from their terms, and I have good arguments that I've never seen any Christian even dig up with. You know, it's pretty sad, but when you have a people as frankly stupid as most Christians are, it's not too hard to outwit them. This guy's not stupid by any means. You know, While while I'm talking about how dumb this guy is, I've basically got the cord wrapped in a knot around my head, and if I don't hang myself, I'll be right back to uh, carry on here. How sick and, okay, I'm back. I successfully resolved the uh, the cord thing. How sick and sad would that be yeah, he was descanting on the stupidity of others when he hanged himself with his own headphone cord. It's a great tragedy. Oh, yes, really going to miss him. <coughs> I flailing, I would knock over my lime-based Coke. <coughs> That's just sad. I feel my pain. Okay, we all do. Alright now uh Alright party people let's carry on here And let's see So my point is what the Orthodox guy is saying is basically what the Catholics say and I'm here to discuss it and rebut it. And, and replace it with something better. Supersede it. It's always good to, always when you're attacking people, use their own words against them. They're a big into superseding, right? You notice how I used that earlier, right? Supersession. right? The Jews in the Old Testament had a covenant with God, but they broke their end of the bargain. So they were superseded by the Christians who followed Jesus and, and kept, the, kept the faith, kept the word. So they used to be supersessionists up until Vatican II. When today they all suck up to the Jews and they claim, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. The covenant's not superseded. There are elder brothers in Christ. So they killed Jesus. He's, no, nah, we can overlook that. That's okay. You know that that that's how weak they've gotten these days. And the fact that something can change on such an essential point shows you that there's there's uh, something not good in it. And then they go, well, they you know they're just in the in the mortal forms occupying this immortal, everlasting institution. Yeah, oh, that's just mere human failure. But the institution itself, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, well, that's an interesting argument. Not buying it! All right. Orthomax. This guy's name is Orthodox Mike. It says Orthomax, by Max. but then up top it says by Orthodox Mike. Or Orthodox Mike posted, Orthomax wrote, I don't know, whatever. Some clown. Okay, he says... uh Again, you can find this at tradyouth.org. What is identity, and how does the answer to this question determine our attitude towards the twin evils of racism and cultural Marxism? So he's calling it racism an evil. Cultural Marxism, parentheses liberalism, and racism are two different but similar manifestations of evil. So if you're a racist, you're evil because racism is evil, just the way cultural Marxism is evil. I'm going to tell you that Christianity and cultural Marxism, I'm not going to say they're evil. I don't use childish language concepts like that. I'm going to say they're both just plain bad. And they, are, they also have a, the same, same taproot. So I'm making kind of the ob- obverse argument of what he's making. He says, first off, we should reject any proposed notion of identity that reduces human beings to any biological or physiological set of distinctive features. A person is more than his or her biology, or class, or personality, or intellect, for that matter. Okay. In strict theological terms, a person, through his new... <coughs> I believe that's how it's pronounced. That's a French word. He puts it in quotes. I remember someone at Majority writes that I had the new of a gerbil. You know, and that was kind of offensive. It's like telling someone they have a big nose. You just don't do it. You just don't do it, lad. That kid's got a head as big as Sputnik. Kill him to get to bed and put his head down in a giant pillow. You may remember that from Mike Myers' movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer, which is actually a really good movie. I remember Roger Ebert, the late, fat, jawless, married to a nigger one, going on about how that could be the first ever Scottish-American satire. It's a good movie. The kid's head is as big as Sputnik. It was pretty, the funny thing was the funny thing. My first girlfriend I ever had was Scottish, and really, really proud of it. And uh, uh, she, uh, God, that woman in that in that movie is how has how she would have looked like uh, forty years later. The exact same kind of like features and, and look. But the funny thing was how so he shows up at the house with his like Italian friend, and she's all getting <laughs> off on him. Kissing him and just totally, totally getting physical, sensual pleasure off making out with the guy's friend. I thought that was pretty funny myself. I've never seen such a thing in a movie. But that, if I have to explain it, it's useless. Watch it, watch it, and just just enjoy it. It's just funny. That actually is a pretty good movie. Uh, Where was I now? <laughs> we really must stay the course. We must stay online. We cannot deviate. Ah! Cannot demagogue the uh, Alter our discourse. We'll stick to the path. All right. Strict theological terms. Hey, buddy, there are no strict terms. Hey, this is what I love, you know. In strict witch doctor terms, in strict Moody terms, in strict shit that doesn't exist terms. This is how. This is how. This is what's so absurd. They're talking about fucking reductionism. They're not even interested in biology. They just oh, we'll just throw that out the door. All these interesting little. Biological facts about actual people, and we'll go with our theology that's you know with this super intricate thing that's uh, this incredibly ornate castle that's built in midair. And strict theo- there are no strict theological terms, buddy. If you want to strict theological terms, theology is bullshit. That's the only strict term about it. It doesn't exist. It's about imagine it's like saying in strict fairyological terms. In strict leprechaunial terms, in strict wee folk terms, strictly speaking, when we're talking scientifically about wee folk, in strict poltergeistian terms, there's a difference between knocking and rapping. I believe St. Augustine came up with a 28-point list of the difference between knocking and rapping committed by poltergeists. They're not the same, you see. Most people think they are. They're not the same. See, it's a strict theological... Hey, there's no strict theological terms, buddy. Give me a fucking break. This is pure clown show, and it is the greatest mistake in the world to treat religion as though it's something not to be laughed at. It is comedy by another name. It's the original comedy. These are the original comedy gangsters. The fact that they spent they spent 30 years... A place where my ancestors are mostly from, Germany, just slaughtering each other over this crap. These stupid bovines breathe too much cow ass fart. Oh, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Oh, did Jesus appear in the wafer or just his spirit? You know, it's just insane stuff. Insane. Strict theological terms. There's no strict theological terms. Again, you have to appreciate this. Just because someone pulls a long face and talks about nonsense doesn't mean they're serious. See, this is why there are no jokes in the Bible. You've got 1,700 pages of material ostensibly addressing humans. Oh, it's the one book you'll ever need. You read this book, you won't need any other books, man. This book covers it all. If it was good, it would be in there. If it's not in there, it's probably not good. That's their reasoning. The Bible is the divine word of the author of the universe. And you know that how? Well, it says that in the Bible. This is logic to these people. It makes sense to them. It's strict theo- There are strict theological terms. How oh, strict What would those be, buddy? Angels exist. God exists. Jesus existed. We don't have any actual proof. Now, if I said there's a stick of butter in the refrigerator, you know, you go, check. no, there isn't. If I said here's a baseball, you go, uh, that's not a baseball, that's a beach ball, or oh, no, there's nothing in your hand. Your palm is empty. You go, oh, you'd be embarrassed. You'd say, well, uh, what are you going to do? You, you you can't keep going. But see, if the thing doesn't exist, it's not, it, even, and it's not even visible. If I say to you, hope or love or hate or horniness exist. They may not be visible, but you sure as hell know what I'm talking about. But if you say God, oh, you say, well, I know what you mean by the concept, but I've never seen it. I've never seen it doing anything. It's not even as real as these other things that don't appear to have any body to them, though they may consist of atoms for all we know once they figure out what thought is. But anyway, strict theological terms. In strict theological terms, you're a clown, buddy. Through his new... The seat or center of the human soul. Yeah, this is classic. Located near or around the region of the heart. Oh my God. This is, a, this is the type of mind that is drawn to religion. They have no sense of, of what clowns they are. The soul is located near or around the region of the heart. That doesn't even make sense. Near or around the region of the heart. I mean, they're... they're I mean, what could I make? Is that not self-evidently absurd? The seat or center of the human soul located near, oh, oh is it a physical thing? Or is it just located in and around there? And and you know this. They find this when they chop people open and look through them. No, they all, oh, because, well, it doesn't have any actual material existence, but that's where it is. We're very, very sure. It's located, well, near, near, near the human heart. Well, yeah, it's near or around the human heart. Well not, well, not the heart, but the region of the heart. It's located near or around the region of the heart, in strict theological terms. You know. I'm not saying it was aliens. you know, I mean, it, the utter incapacity for grasping one's own clownliness runs through all christianity all this type of thinking and writing it's just utter it's undeclared clownage and that's why i'm here to point that out though anyone intelligent should be able to pick up on it it's just that people are too fearful they a lot of people suspect that this stuff is crap they suspect the right the right response to laugh at it because so many other people appear to take it seriously they're afraid to because their fear of how i will look tropism kicks in their fear of authority tropism kicks in and this is you know people were asking about twain's living stranger this is what Stray- twain goes into in the living stranger where they're all stoning a witch and twain says something like 64 of the 67 people uh, no more no you know didn't want to throw a stone at her but they looked around and they thought well if i don't throw a stone at her then jones well notice that I didn't and word of it may get back to the Burgermeister. And he's saying that's the kind of fucking crud that people are. And that's why that's that's in my opinion the best thing that Twin ever wrote. Because of scenes like that where he just shows you this is this is what you people want to think you're some fucking great thing. This is what you actually are. You're a little friggin' coward who's afraid of what someone else is gonna think. You're too scared to laugh. You're too scared to laugh at what's stupid. You're too scared literally to refrain from stoning someone that you don't even in your heart want to stone because she didn't do anything wrong. She's just accused of being a witch. And you know, Germanic people, uh, I could criticize every other subset of the white race. This is the one I'm descended from there. By God, I, I, it's easy to see it in them. They st- have it still, you know, and they they were stoning they stoned they killed more witches in Germany than basically anywhere. You know, and this is, and part of the reason they did it was they took they took stuff like this seriously when it's not serious. And this is why I say all genuine human, the good things in human life are not religious. They're they're in strict theological, the strict theological terms. You listen to a little kid. Oh yeah, the the neighbor woman made the cow dry up. We need to we need to uh, haul her in for questioning. That, then, strict theological terms, that made a lot of sense. You see, so it's the scoffers and the doubters and the darers that that we would like to have define our race—the people who laughed, the people who brought some joy to life. Not the—it's the people who, oh, life is some grim tour of duty, you know. We're supposed to be miserable all the time. Well, we could be self-critical. I go that far. You've got to find the people with the right spirit, and those, that's found in the best authors. People like Twain, the people like Roald Dahl, when I get to that section on my bookshelf. Celine, Bierce, who else? Uh, Saki. These are people with the right mentality. These are people you, want, you wish everyone were like that. It's sane. They have some humanity. They're not strict theological terms. Get out of here, you clown. The new, the satyr center of the human whole, located soul, located near or around, the. I love that, near or around, this pseudo-specificity, you know, kind of reminds me of some Nigerian email scammer. Oh, really, it's located near or around. He can't just say, like, it's located in the heart. It's located near or around the region of the heart. I mean, my God, what the hell does that mean? What? What? What is? I know what the heart is. What is the region of the heart? What does that encompass? The whole chest, or another another two, three cubic centimeters around the exterior of the pericardium? You know, the thing that the heart is wrapped in. You know, it, it, this human soul, this thing that doesn't exist is located, well, it's, you know, near around this uh, actual organ. Yeah, that's the ticket. Have the nuts to perceive what's stupid and laugh at it. Have the moral courage to laugh at it. Other people, they're, they're, they take it seriously. I, I probably should too. I mean, when you think like that, what is the difference between you and a cow? That's that exactly the reason. I mean, people are trying to evolve from those lower animals. They're not trying to be those lower animals. Uh, like, you know, people really seem to be taking these accusations of witchcraft seriously. I certainly don't want to be known for uh, not throwing stones at witches. We don't need our family getting a reputation of not being stone flingers at witches. That would be a bad thing for us. we probably just better throw a It seems kind of nasty and bloody, and I don't personally... Think she is a witch? I I didn't personally see her doing any witchcraft. I haven't seen her out in the woods around giant cauldrons. I don't see any warts on her nose. I haven't seen her flying a broom. But we probably ought to just to be safe here. We probably ought to throw some stones at her. It's probably a good idea for us to do that. Let's well, do that now, Nancy? You give little little Tommy and little Becky there. You give them a stone. That's all. Family that flings stones together, they stay together. Yeah, that that's that's just good. That's good solid thinking there. Let's do it. Let's be like the other people. Let's keep up appearances. It's very important. This is how the little people think, and most people are little people. Now, You want to be one of the laughing minority? That could be dangerous. You could be burned. You could say, well, remember that the church is not committed to rationality. It's committed to the opposite. And when it's proved wrong, it's still it's still you still find people today where all oh, the church wasn't really wrong about Galileo when he said you know the earth's not the center of the universe. He, uh, they weren't really saying that. They tried to work around the edges. Nothing they ever did is really wrong, you know, or uh, factually. And yet you can find in one of the books in my in my book notes that I talked about was uh uh the God delusion and. You know, you can find quotes overtly against rationality from the post-Christian leftists like John Dewey speaking against anti-intellectual education, as I've talked about many times, and he's the main influence on the setup of the modern public school, at least from the 1920s forward, to Martin Luther and St. Augustine overtly saying that reason is the greatest danger. The faith faces so this is the context out of which these clowns come talking to us about strict theological terms and t- calling us evil for being racists you know so, so you're going to tell me how i have what in common with the with the uh with with the liberals the liberals and us racists have something in common and yet you're using a term, you say racism is evil. Well, when was racism discovered to be evil? Thousands of years ago? No, no one ever heard of it. It was dreamed up by the communist, And you're gleefully using it to denounce people like me who look at the real world and draw the obvious conclusions about human behavior and look for ways to try to limit some of the damage and destruction that can be done by people who are forcing the unlike and unwilling together. You know, he wants to say we're evil, but he's using gleefully, just the way E. Michael Jones does, E. Michael Jones gleefully uses information dug up by the communists he's supposedly different to and opposed to. The Enlightenment liberals, the communists, create this garbage information, this bogus claims about Nazis that they're a bunch of homosexuals, and then the church runs out and repeats all that. This is what this orthodox guy is doing here claiming that racialists are, are the same as these liberals. It's more like the Semitic Christians and the, the uh, supposedly secular, but actually most of the liberals, the post-Jesus or social gospel Christians, are the majority of these secular humanists these traditionalists or conservatives denounce. So they are just like a later phase of the same thing. So there's far more relation between them and Than there is between racialism and liberalism. Christianity accepted men of all sexes, races, classes from day one. It was always universalist. It was mere contingency and happenstance, mere circumstance that men might have been in ethnic tribes that joined Christianity. It was nothing doctrinal about Christianity that prevented their mixing racially. And that's why today, when a new secular power takes takes charge that advocates not racial, racial preservation outside of Israel, but racial coerced mixing, mongrelization, the church has nothing to say against it because it doesn't have any doctrinal points against it. There is nothing in church philosophy or in church doctrine that says that racial intermarriage is wrong, or racial intersex or racial uh, interbreeding is wrong. There's nothing in church doctrine against that. Therefore, the church is inherently anti-white. That's my argument. It's just that the level of mentation of too many people on our side is too low. So they see, well, in this time and place, uh, we had solid white groups and white society, and we had Christian religion. Therefore, it's it's not anti-white. No, the reason it wasn't anti-white is it simply didn't have was purely circumstantial. And they, you, I can't get these people to see the difference between something that's doctrinal and circumstantial because ideas don't really make any sense or matter to them. They're basically on the southern level of culture where where the attitude of old. Reading books don't help you hold a flower any firmer or don't help you hold horse reins any firmer or shoot any better. What's reading got to do with anything? Oh, the reason you, your inability to read is the reason that your people is oppressed. Is what it is. And I don't mean to pick on Southerners. I've already done enough of that. It's tiresome. They're not an interesting people. I've, I've used them for an example. That's about all they're worth, really, until they decide otherwise, but they're not going to do that. So we'll worry about ourselves. And if any of them want to join us, they're welcome. But I'll keep harping on that because it's it's essential to understand that something that is not doctrinally pro-white is effectively anti-white. It really is. You're either with us or against us. Now, and we, we've we seen the example of Hitler, and when, the, when pro-whites got in control of Germany, the church fought them more strongly than it would ever fight the communists who were literally murdering priests over in Russia. It didn't do anything against them as that provide you know, underground places for Christians to come and whine about about the communists. It didn't actually help fight them in any serious regard. Uh, ignore what the, you know, Pope and Reagan, oh, they fought it. Communism fell apart because finally they got bored of terrorizing people and they ran out of money. It really didn't have anything to do with Christianity. <laughs> but when, <clears throat> when, when it actually mattered and when whites came close to scotching the Judeo Communist Revolution that had successfully happened in very, very religious Russia. Why, that's when the church, if it had any scintilla of pro whitism in its in its heart and soul and new and doctrines, that's when it would have jumped in to side with the Nazis to remove the horror, the historically unique The awful horror of jewish bolshevism but what did the church do it sided with the bolshevists even as it sides with them today so the church merely opposes communism as a sort of a competitor but it hates nazism because nazism is a vital threat a vital threat means that racial doctrines threaten to supersede race-neutral, universalist doctrines of the church. That's a very important point and explains the psychology on the the hostility that otherwise there wouldn't seem to be a reason for when you read these people like E. Michael Jones or Ortho Mike here. Very important point. I've I've harped on that many times. I fear that sometimes people don't understand what I'm saying. I hope they do. This is why I always ask you to react to what I'm saying, to let me know if you don't understand what I'm saying, I will gladly clarify it. That's what I'm looking for more than, oh, I like your show or I don't like your show. Okay, that's great either way. But if there's some point for me to clarify, I will happily talk about it. I'm very, I'm very much a, uh, a counterpuncher. Things are clear to me. If they're not clear to others, I will happily clarify them. That's why I am sort of a trying to be a public intellectual or a public speaker or a public idea leader at the least. So take advantage of that. If there's something you don't get, if there's something particularly about something that I've said or come up with in my own that you don't understand, I will explain it. I very much appreciate being asked about stuff like that. Now we're a minute 40 in, and I've only gotten two paragraphs into this. So brevity, 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 and it ain't going to happen in this podcast. There will be other podcasts where I keep it as short as, say, 40 minutes, but this one will keep going. This is intensely interesting stuff, I think. Now... Okay, let me read another uh, another little bit, so he says, in strictly theological terms, a person through his new, the seed or center of the human soul, located near or around the region of the heart. You just imagine like them drawing a cartoon map of of their idea of where all the how all this fits together. It's one who created who is created, capable of achieving direct communion with God through prayer, per the mystical tradition of Eastern Orthodox hesychasm. now that's a word I'm not familiar with. The spiritual tradition of this author, and through Eucharistic unity, communion in the body and blood of of Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, so that's what Orthodox believe. You can through communion, like with the Catholics, through the blood and the wine are my body, as Christ, uh, as the fictional character was had to say, or through direct prayer, like the so they kind of believe the same thing the Protestants do and the Catholics do in that regard. And we know from that Greek report I mentioned, the PDF of which is. On our PDF sticky thread, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, at least, is uh, very decentralized, so that's why the uh, metropolitans or the leaders of these different little churches can pretty much speak their mind. It's not like Roman Catholics, where there's a much more formal, rigid hierarchy, where they basically have to toe the Pope's line, or they can be uh, chastised or even, even kicked out if they go too far from the Doctrine. So that's why you'll see different ones in Greece uh, saying different things. Uh, One or two have come out for Golden Dawn, and more than that, and higher up, have come out against it. Now, Orthodox Mike says, In anthropological terms, a human being is a communal being. A human person is a communal being, not an object in a vacuum. He therefore requires community. This is kind of Aristotelian, man is a political animal. He craves fellowship with other human beings. He is created to love and to be loved in return. He has a will and freely exercises his capacity for self-determination, for good or ill. He possesses reason and moral judgment. He perceives and appraises the aesthetically pleasing and is armed with the capacity and potential for building cultures and civilizations. Mm, all right, that's not too objectionable. I mean except for his saying he is created to love and to be loved in return. That may happen. There is love and there is love in return, but that doesn't mean he is created for that. Any ideology which limits identity to something biological alone, genetics, skin tone, gender, or to any human faculty or group of faculties, the will, the emotions, the intellect, consigns other human beings to the status of sub- or even non-humanity. And that is the irony of racism, for it conveniently exempts one's own race or ethnicity from this crude and bare-bones definition of identity while happily and eagerly applying it to others. So what we have there is your typical uh, straw man. He's he's making claims. He, he's created a racialism that doesn't exist. I mean, for example, we talk about IQ. It's like, Whites will acknowledge that other groups might have a slightly higher average IQ. Racialism isn't based on the idea that other people are all non-human. I don't think anyone said that, like, Japanese say, aren't human. What we say, or if they say it, they're they're joking when they say it. Uh, Just as, you know, do the Chinese believe that all other people are, most people, and historically believed other people were barbarians. Do they actually literally believe that, or they just believe that they were a little better? I mean, so what? You can see the, the nascent liberal liberalism in his words. Basically all people you it's an inch away from saying all people are equal. If all people are human, if they're all spiritually equal in the eyes of God, which is what all Christians believe, then why shouldn't they be politically equal? It's awfully hard to maintain the oh yeah, they're all human. They're just not on the same level culturally. Do you see how These certain things just hang together, and if you're going to believe that people are spiritually equal in the eyes of God, then you're going to tend to believe that if they're not politically or culturally equal, there's some invidious explanation, whereas if you're a racialist and you just say, hey, buddy, I'm just looking at the world and telling you what I find, my kind of people, we prefer being among our own, just as every other people does. We also seem to notice that our people are a little bit better at doing a lot of pretty important things than all these other people. Fred Reed wrote a good column on that theme lately. You know, yeah, we can pretend to believe that all these people are equal. What I'm telling you that Fred Reed won't tell you and these other people won't tell you because they don't believe it or they haven't drawn the conclusion is that the church's belief in the spiritual equality in the eyes of the Lord is is the source and the origin of that political liberalism. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are people in Greece who believed that even before then or the roots could be traced back there. But certainly Christians' belief in spiritual equality undergirds this belief in political equality or this hope that they can what isn't equal can be made equal and then it's it's a small leap from there to hoping like even jefferson hoped that one day blacks would be able to develop to the level of whites it's a very small leap once you entertain that hope to saying well you know what if they're not if they don't if they're not equal and they don't seem to be making that leap it must be because someone else is holding them down it must be some, some kind of evil witchcraft that whites possess that's leading them to think bad things about blacks that are causing their civilization to stall by producing endless Detroit, you know, endless school boards going bankrupt and falsifying test scores. It must somehow be attributable to witches, to white witchcraft that's keeping these people down because we know in God's eyes that we're all equal. You see how poisonous, how pernicious that doctrine is? And even the conservatives. I know when I was a conservative, I never thought about it for a moment. I'm like, yeah, that's the only kind of—I duly parroted the conservative view. Like, yeah, well, blacks would be just as good as whites. The conservative view, one of the very few things I've ever had to genuinely wake up from and reverse my mind on, very few things— and I'm embarrassed by that. I, I don't like to ever be wrong about stuff, but I always admit when I am. It's more important to admit when you're wrong than any pain or humiliation you might feel. And I did I did feel it because I honestly believed, like, yeah, they're, they are equal to whites. I'm like, I believe in spiritual equality in the eyes of God. That makes sense, whether you believe in God or not. You can see their concept, like each person has moral worth and they're they have free will and they're responsible for what they do. And so... The reason that blacks are so bad, they were better in the past, Thomas Sowell will argue that. It is unarguable, it is factually demonstrable that black families were more intact, had lower uh negative indices of social behavior before civil rights than they do now. That's something that not a lot of people are aware of. And of course the left hides it because they have to portray whites as evil, but even so, they would not and ever be equal to whites because of their inferior genetic capacity, which is the reason that they never built any serious culture in Africa, never had any written languages, never produced any, any books. So the conservative, professional conservatives lied about that because they're co-opted by Jews or they constrain what they write out of fear of Jews. And when that comes to race, they're all led to pretend that black problems are purely... A function of this evil welfare state and high taxes that we have to change. And if we change that, they'll we'll all grow up to be conservatives and vote Republican and hold jobs and earn money and hold their savings in the stock market and uh, become good, solid bourgeois like we Republican voters. I more or less believed that, or I, I didn't fully disbelieve it. I knew blacks were a little more criminal, but I thought that it wasn't as bad as it was, and it wasn't. Uh, that was until I lived around blacks kept my eyes open in dc and then i saw oh well that's what the truth is and then i learned the the truth about jews at the same time although i didn't learn that from being around jews i knew what jews were like from living around them but i i learned the deeper truth about them from reading since it's not you can learn the truth about blacks by living around them because you see what they're actually like and you quickly see like they're a very different animal from whites but see, what this religious fellow is saying that, like, no, you should cut out your eyes, cut off your ears, and don't listen to the evidence of your senses. And Christians have said stuff like this, and not the low-level televangelists, but the very highest-level intellectual Christians like Martin Luther and St. Augustine, cut out your eyes, cut off your ears. Reason is the greatest danger our faith will ever face. You know, ignore the reality of your senses. This is how little—and see, he's sitting there saying, we reduce man to a biological entity— well, isn't isn't he reducing man? If they're if they're literally they're literally reducing man. If they're telling you to rip out your eyes and turn off your ears, they're saying literally don't even use your sense organs. How is that not reductionist? Even if you believe God created this reality, don't you need to use God's created sense organs? Would God create people and then not want them to use their sense organs? See with your heart, man, not with your eyes. They're the reductionist. The racialists are like, hold on, buddy. We know from the HBD, folks, human biodiversity, that race, races are evolving apart even faster than they ever have. Evolution is going faster than it ever has. While you while you leftists are trying to, you leftists, you post-Christian but usually still Christian, secular mongrelists are trying to mix our race out of existence while we're trying to diversify the human race, all in the name of diversity. Breeding within a race is what produces diversity. All dogs are descended from wolves, and I believe they used to be made like one common type. And humans have inbred them until they produce different strains, suited for different things. So the people who are interested in diversity don't take that into account. They want to mix everything except Jews together and let Jews lord it over the mass of mongrelized other nations. So he says... Any ideology which limits identity to something biological alone. And, you know, who says that they limit identity to biology alone? No, that's a straw man argument. What is accurate for me to say is that the church is not interested in biology, just the way it wasn't interested in the actual facts about it, uh, about uh, cosmetology or, or cosmology, the formation of the heavens, and, you know, it would just— it, it would punish people for speaking something that was true. It's not interested in the truth about race, but they always they always will use this argument that you're you're a biological reductionist. Maybe maybe you're driven by hubris, Ortho Mike. In that you're not acknowledging that these different races that you believe, even if you believe incorrectly, that God created them, you're not interested. In, let's let's let before we blip over. Just say, oh, there's just humanity, which is just an abstract word. Let's look at these different races and see just how different they actually are. Because we don't have a full accounting of that. So let's have a full accounting of God's created reality before we start assuming that all these different things are actually one and the same thing. That's just ordinary circumspection and, and rational caution. You see, but they want to they leap to the conclusion that, oh, you know, you're reducing human to their biology. Well, let's just see how biologically similar or different these things are. Say, we're the ones who are starting with reality. We're the ones who are starting with, look, these people don't want to live around these other people. And you're saying race doesn't matter? Well, then why does everyone who has the free will use their free will to move away from blacks and toward whites? And then you're saying that racism, which everyone would agree that's racism, whether it's declared or not, you're saying that's evil. You're using the worst word in your arsenal to characterize whites who merely want to live around and be with their own kind. You say that's evil. And then I've got people on my forum, well, not anymore because I won't let them. I get rid of them. You want to tell me that Christianity isn't anti-white inherently. They don't care where you're from as long as you put money in their collection plate. You're fine with them. And this is the irony of racism for a conveniently exempt one's own race from this crude and bare bo- bones definition of identity while happily and eagerly applying it to others. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, I've, if, if then they'll turn around and say, well, whites are advocating eugenics. You know, if, if whites see that uh, you know, whites are so great and they have all these compensating virtues, why would they be so in favor of eugenics? Whites acknowledge that biological truth applies to whites just as much as every other race. It doesn't. They don't draw the line at whites. They notice that race isn't, isn't a, something with perfect borders, but it's a very real social, biological reality, and it should be taken into account. Okay, picking up, continuing. Racism is hypocritically built on hatred for the other more than it is built on love for one's own. And in fact, if each human being created in the very image of God possesses his own unique expression of that image, then anyone who hates the image, as instantiated in the person of another race, hates himself. Now, that doesn't logically follow. To truly love oneself and one's own people. One must honor the other selflessly, sacrificially, and without compunction. So, go down to Haiti and get nuped. Ignore reality. Ignore that you can't help certain types of people, that you can't fix them. It's also great that he acknowledges that God is a nigger. I mean, that's another way to put what he's saying. If every single person reflects God... And you know, there's 600 million or whatever uh, blacks. Then God is indubitably a nigger. Now that means that the orthodox worship a nigger God. I mean, do you want to worship a God who creates niggers? You now, not every black's a nigger, but most blacks are niggers. I mean, and again, the way that they throw around words, you know, it's it's always. Here's another similarity the Christian has with liberal so what he does is is based out of love but what I do or what we do is based out of hate but see by the same token we don't go around saying we don't go around saying like oh you you're emotionally disordered you're medically ill what we do is pro social we say we say look buddy i start with uh, leave aside who created this world who created people i may believe evolution you may believe god we start with reality and we observe what goes on and we see the patterns and we try to avoid we try to lessen the amount of misery and suffering in the world by acknowledging certain real patterns and taking them into account in our politics. You don't. And that's the commonality these Christian nuts have. A, they accuse others without basis of being hateful towards others and not liking their own kind and hating others, whereas they, they friggin' love them. Hey, buddy, if it's your policies that produce misery, I can demonstrate that mathematically. You're a Christian, what you call love which is like what Joe calls sex, it ain't the real thing. What you call love causes far more misery than my, what you call hate, which also isn't hate, simply realitarianism, because, it, because it's not all mushy like your fucking nasty-ass marshmallows. My real green beans are better than your crappy orange marshmallow coating, buddy. I'll tell you that. You want to go around talking about other other people are emotionally disfigured, but you're full of love. Now, this this is how there's a that's exactly how liberals do it. And there there you have it. Christianity and liberalism are the same thing. The idea that the Enlightenment and Christianity are opposed, no, they're exactly the same universalist hubristic crap. They think they they know, they expose there's this God and he made the world and we know his plans and we're going to enforce them on everybody else. We're just saying, look, leaving all that aside, just look at how people actually operate. This philosophy that race doesn't really matter and we should allow the Jews to push all who know that race really does matter, as is evident in the way they run Israel and the way they cover up what it does to non-Israelis and non-Jews, We who acknowledge reality and try to devise politics based on are called haters by Christian and liberal alike. So don't tell me that Christianity and liberalism are opposed. They're the same thing. They use the same techniques. They share smears. They share epithets. We worship our—do I have to—is it worshiping myself to observe that if we didn't have this civil rights and all this other garbage— that uh, you know, people like Shannon Christian wouldn't have been raped, tortured, and murdered, and, and there wouldn't be tens of thousands of white women raped each year. But I talk about that because I'm a hater. But it was your Christian love, and along we're working hand in glove with Jews who put those Negroes into white communities. And because I call them niggers, that means I'm full of hate and I'm the bad guy. It's your policy that's causing these rapes and these murders. But if I talk about it honestly, then I'm emotionally disfigured and my, char- my character is up for being smeared. Now, we don't even do the same to you. We, that's why I say racialism is reality-based and reality is pro-social because we can explain to you why we think the way we do. It doesn't involve smearing you or doubting your character. It's like, here is is this really what you want? And if that is what you want because you support the policies that cause this stuff to take place, then maybe you ought to acknowledge that maybe you're not free of hate. Maybe you're afraid to own up to your hate. I know this is true of leftists. I think that Christians tend to simply be, they're simply more into fantasies like this. I don't think this guy wants to see white women raped. I think he's just more into his fantasy idea of how this abstraction called human being should live here on earth. But the actual liberals, they want to see white people suffer. And they they like seeing white women raped. They want to see white men murdered. They like that. I know, I know that you people, I don't get response when I say this. I know that you people don't believe me when I say that, but it's absolutely true. They like it. That's that's the reality of human nature. What these people are like, I actually don't enjoy seeing people raped and murdered, believe it or not. You know, it's funny how they're always, oh, white nationalists are so evil. There are these dangerous, horrible Nazis who go around killing people. And then, you know, Vargas posted this chart a number of times, which is of all these political subgroups out there, white racialists are the one who kill the least number of people in the U.S. Fucking animal rights people like that kill more people than white racialists do. We are pro-social. The leftists, the Jews are anti-social. The Christians are anti-social. Pat Robertson out there saying, you know, the solution to America's social problems is for white, blacks and browns and whites to interbreed. No, the solution is for is not to allow Christians to lower our our social common denominator down to the Christian level, but to let it stay at the white level by keeping these races apart the way they want to be, or or at least the way the whites want to be. Whites are forced to live at a lower level than they would otherwise because the country is run by people who think race doesn't matter or who people know that race does matter but want to force our group to essentially be used as a teaching aid and a social aid to raise and elevate the level of these other people of failure. They already have Africa. They've already messed that up. They already have Asia and have messed most of that up. They already have Mexico and South America and have messed most of that up. We don't need them messing up Europe and America. And then they say, we're hateful. Because we look out for our own interests, when they they look, they look, don't look out for our interests, the church is looking out for its interests, the Jews are looking out for their interests, but who's looking out for white interests? Well, we're evil. We're evil, if we even say that we have interest, according to this guy. And then these people who claim they're on our side are running this on their site, like there's nothing wrong with it, or like there's some valuable thing in it. A parrot is confused. I would say racism isn't built on love or hate, it's built on acknowledging reality. And little more, I mean, unless you really like rape and murder and, and noise and, and litter and people just general discord, then why the heck would you not be a racist? Racism says people have freedom, they can they can live with their own kind and they can exclude others from their neighborhood, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Racism doesn't have a damn thing to do with hating anyone or loving anyone. Contrary to what Duke and others have said. Racism basically a garbage management pro- problem and a, and, a, and a preference. It's a social garbage management problem. You know, if you want to believe God created races, but you don't want to acknowledge that the races are very, very different, and you want to say they just all reflect some aspect of God, which is the aspect of God that, that niggers reflect, buddy? Well you didn't want to get into the details there. The, the God's, so so part of God is like making a lot of noise. You know, we always talk about violence, but how about just plain noise and litter? So God has an aspect to his character where he really loves to litter. And he really loves to make noise that that upsets other people. So that that's that's God. That's God at work in those niggers who do that. Which is most niggers. You ever see a nigger be sensitive to anyone else? Hell no, you never saw it, except in a Hollywood film. This is is God? God's at work? You have to believe. Do you really believe God is a nigger, Orthodox Mike? Because that's exactly what you're saying. You don't like it put like that, but that's exactly what you're saying. Are you a nigger denier? Are Are you claiming blacks are just good, normal people? I say 1 out of 10, but I'm talking about the other 9 out of 10. You're saying ignore the 9 out of 10 and focus on the 1 out of 10. And really, even the 1 out of 10 black reflects some, some aspect of God that whites don't? Every individual is so freaking valuable. That's funny how they all fall into groups that can be have their behavior successfully predicted ahead of time when they have this free will, isn't it? Awfully interesting. But as we know, Orthodox Mike is not interested in reality. He's interested in his imaginary concepts and then building this metaphysical, imaginary world and then grading things on it. But you can't build a castle in midair, no matter how hard they try. He says it should be noted as well that no people promoting the dominance and spread of their own unique biological or racial distinctives to the detriment of another people, is capable of contributing positively to the edifice of culture. Even if it is conceded there are areas in which one race may surpass another. Now let's just start with that first. Uh, Okay, so you can only contribute positively to the edifice of culture if you share Orthodox Mike's views on race. So like the guy who discovered you know, the DNA code or whatever it was that Watson discovered related to DNA, the structure of the, of the strands, he can't do that because of his views. He has racist views about blacks, so he can't contribute positively to culture unless he shares the dogmatic outlook of orthodox mics. Whereas you or I might say, well, anyone could contribute to culture. It doesn't matter what they think about this or that. It depends on what they do is Edison some big religious believer hell no. Edison had racial and anti-jew views, I think he did. But he couldn't contribute to culture because he didn't he didn't see every single stinking individual as as god. And it's just a dumb sentence. Even if it's conceded there are areas in which one race may surpass another. See see little Mike, that's the thing. No one needs your concession because reality exists whether or not you take it into account. So, so it doesn't matter if you say even if it is conceded, it's not yours to concede, buddy. It's something that exists. It's the question is on you and whether you acknowledge it. You know, and you may think it's all up to you. This is the hubris that infests these religious people. They just decide reality is whatever they want it to be, and if it doesn't go along with their dreams and their dogma, then they reject it, and then they start thinking up names for other people who aren't that weak-minded. So we're haters because we acknowledge biological reality that might that might even by their own terms on their own terms they're god created races this different that they don't even like to live together. So so god is composed of people or of aspects that can't even stand the other aspects of him. So god contains multitudes and those multitudes are engaged in a race war. That's fucking insane. Even conceptually that's insane but it's what orthodox mike this crank that parrot is giving space to it's what he has to believe see this pseudo hard-minded right-wing traditionalist academic level uh, religious writer is trying to basically <clears throat> pass on this gloss on this kumbaya crap so like there's all these races and oh yeah they're they're all yeah they're all different but they're all—they all reflect God, and they only reflect God in good ways. So it's like racism doesn't make any sense because they're just like one's an apple pie, and one's a cherry pie, and one's a lime pie, and one's a lemon pie, and one's a chocolate pie, and one's a vanilla pie, and one's a you know a sarsaparilla pie, and one's a vegetable pie, and one's a meat pie, and one's a jello pie. And one's a meringue pie, but they're all pies. They're all good. They all taste wonderful. We like them all. They all express a different aspect of God. And, and then you're like, hey, wait a minute, slow down, buddy. 99% of the species that ever existed are extinct. So, you know, what does that say about God? All kinds of these different, like, proto-hominids and, and earlier Homo sapiens are now extinct. Like Homo floresiensis, you know, the little, little, like... 3 4 foot tall <coughs> sucker living on an island in Indonesia. They're they're extinct. They're created in God's image too. You know, or Java man or Neanderthals or where well, they're all extinct. So, you know, they all express his aspect of God but but yet they all freaking die out. The the whole thing is like these men can be different but never ever in incompatible ways even though we know in biology that subspecies always fight when they're both in the same area until one dominates and displaces the other. That's what always happens. So if God created the world, that was the principle he created it on. So if anything, these religious folks ought to be arguing for a race war. (laughs) Which aspect of God should dominate? Is God a nigger or a white man or a Chinese? Which is he? Oh, they all express aspect? But those aspects are at odds, buddy. I, I mean, do you say like, you know... A grackle and a robin both express aspects of God, or a sparrow and a grackle and a robin all express aspects of God, and yet the sparrow are always driving off other, sub, other species, and the grackle are always driving off other species. And the milder, <coughs> usually prettier, better, higher birds are getting driven off and replaced by these friggin' grackles. And it's similar. In it, what it is, Gresham's Law, the bad drives out the good. He said that in Money. But it, it goes for pretty much everything. The lowest common denominator tends to prevail. And one of the books we're going to get into in the future, The Revolt of the Masses by Jose Ortega y Gasset. And uh, he picks up a little of this, and the, the sort of the non-Jewish aspect of the, the empowerment of the mass mob and the, the lowest common denominator. And that's part of what whites object to. They want a higher civilization. They don't want to live it on a nigger common denominator. They want to live it on a white common denominator, which is much higher. And that's totally defensible. It's a preference is what it is. God has nothing to do with it. He's an imaginary creature invented because people like Orthodox Mike can't back their arguments with anything pro-social, that is, anything reality-based. They are the antisocials. That's why people fight over religion but not science, because science, there's a way to reconcile competing views. With evidence and reproducibility, but there's no way to reconcile competing religious views because they aren't founded in anything. They're simply opinions that they are—they're too small, weak little men to back themselves, so they pretend that they're <coughs> they're coming from God. Because any clown can put words in God's mouth. God never speaks himself because he's simply a concept, not an actual being or creature. So anyone can can say, "Well, it's not me saying this; it's God saying this." Orthodox Mike says God's a nigger. That's all you need to know. You know, if you want to believe that, enjoy the society that will result from it. You know, and, and you're you're a Lutheran, you're a Catholic, your church is working with the State Department to flood white areas with Somali refugees. Or other refugees. They don't care as long as they're not white and they're going to a white area. I and mean, what's the difference? They're just adding a new aspect of God to your community. It may seem stupid and violent and corrupt and disgusting, but yeah, God is like that, man. I mean, basically Orthodox Mike's position remarks to God is mostly a shitbag. And a genocidal homicidal shitbag. But he doesn't want to acknowledge that position. You say, oh oh this oh no, no, when, when the nigger does something bad, well that, that's not God, that's free will. You see, you see. They're only God when they're doing something good, you know. This is this is just it's just it's childish and beyond. The only thing religion has going for it is numbers, and all that means is the average person's a freaking idiot. Okay, looking through. Furthermore, racism seems to be predicated in the unspoken, if not spoken, assumption that one's race or ethnicity has remained, will always remain, more or less pure over long ages, unaffected by the vicissitudes of nature. Again, pure straw, and no one's ever said that. People obviously have lighter eyes or darker skin due to their geographical uh, place that their people generally evolved. There wasn't a lot of travel before the modern ages, or at least there was travel. There was long-distance travel, but it was over a greater period of time. He just, he's just a strong man, strong man, strong man. He's, he's claiming people assert stuff no one's ever asserted. This scientific notion of identity is wholly inadequate. It is a crude materialistic reductionist and anti-spiritual conception of the human being. It is a truncated, utterly adulterated view of identity relative to that which... What is more, possibly more truncated and reductionist than his view that, no, 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 people aren't biological entities at all. They're simply spiritual conceptions of God and they each express a different aspect of God and they're wholly they're wholly compatible. They could totally get it wrong. Now, if they want to take their atoms into account and their historical circumstances into account, that's okay. They can organize into ethnic parishes, but that doesn't really mean anything. There can't be any deep meaning to it. And that's the that's the basic position of the Catholic Church and the uh the Orthodox Church, I guess, if this guy's representing it accurately. And uh, anything more than that, and you're worshiping in the altar of your own race. But, you know, he's he's awfully willing to jump over just what exactly are these people that you're lumping into one category. I don't like being or appreciate being lumped in with a nigger. I think I'm a little bit different and better than a nigger. And I think most whites are. And I think most whites perceive themselves to be better. And what you call love, in one of one of the four or five things I posted on Monday, in my, my, uh, idea midden, ID midden, my, uh, Writer's notebook was a uh, a quote I found somewhere, I may have been Amran or somewhere, where the guy's like talking about all these white Christians down in Haiti and he's like the the main reason they're doing it is for their ego. They feel utterly superior to these niggers. So see this is the this is the concealed irony is that the Christians, just like the post Christian liberals who are actually ninety percent Christian, the ones who aren't Jews feel exactly about niggers the way the racist, the evil, evil, morally evil racists do. Everyone looks at the nigger and sees the same thing. They just draw different conclusions. The racist says, this is a dangerous wild animal. We need to keep away from our safe, decent community. The liberal says, oh, my dad is the ultimate set of tools. I could totally fix this. Like Sean Penn at Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And the religious nut says, these niggers are just showing a different aspect of God, and we need to be more sensitive to them. We just need to love, 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 without compunction. And then he, he gets nuped down in Haiti. George Noop, a retired white guy. Oh, God, just he looks for a place and he just plugs me in to help help them. Now, I'm even willing to to admit that Noop probably was honestly motivated. He, These older white men don't generally feel quite so superior, but the the young white girls who go down there and do that stuff, and, and the younger white men in general, they feel tremendous. They love being able to lord it over these niggers to treat them like basically a animated pet you can have sex with because they can talk, kind of. They can have sex like a human, and uh, yet they're not dumb enough to figure out what you're up to, and they're forced to be grateful for what you're doing even though they don't really feel it, which is the reason they, these chicks always end up raped and murdered. And not by random niggers, but by the very niggers that they're helping. That's what's so ironic and funny about it all. There's a very clear pattern there. But again, Christians are not people who are interested in biological facts, let alone pattern recognition. And if you are, then they call you evil. Which is a very, very handy word to have to dismiss the curiously evidence-based views of others. Again, like I say, this is an this is attack a that racialists should take. We are pro-social. Our views are pro-social. Our views result in fewer rapes and murders each year. The leftist Jewish Christian view results in more rapes and murders. Just because they use the language of love and they call us haters doesn't mean that they aren't responsible for most of the bad stuff that's going on. Imagine if we had a racialist world. Whites would be living on their own. These other races would be back in Africa or or other continents. Where would the rape and murder be? We'd have a, a nice, beautiful, clean, safe, white society. And we all know that. Everyone listening, the Jew knows that's true. Whites who believe in what I'm saying know that's true. The leftist, if they listen to this, would know that it's true. They don't want it. So they choose. They opt for. They vote for. They advocate for. They smear for. They pass laws for this society of coerced mongrelism that leads to this rape and, and murder and misery and discrimination against whites. They want that. Apart from, you know, most of them want it. The The leaders certainly want it. They get off on it. But uh, and the, the ones who don't are simply the delusional. It's for them. If they listen to this, they can understand that what they're doing. Like, just because you say you're motivated by love doesn't mean that you don't produce the opposite of what you claim you are. Notice, I never claim I'm motivated by love. I never claim I'm motivated by hate. I, I'm not. I'm not some. You know. I always have to. You know. I know it's a tactic used by people like Duke. You know, say we love our race or Kevin Strom. I mean, I don't like to get into stuff like that. You know what's in your heart. I know what's in my heart. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just it's kind of dirty in the way that like you don't. Know, it, it, <laughs> It's a variation of what I say. You got to trust your own material. You know what? I I feel confident to let you judge by my actions over a long period of time what's in my heart. I'm not going to sit there and say I motive. I don't use good words to describe myself. That's at the lowest. That's always been thought gauche in white society. You know, people always should judge people by how they behave and how they act. You don't listen to. <laughs> My friends say I'm super nice and cool and awesome. Uh, you know, as it mocked up, I say, my friends say I have brown hair and blue eyes. If they don't, I shoot them and I get new friends. You know, you fucking see. I'm super creative and, and um, really honest and uh, uh, equally at home while, while taking a long walk off a short pier or uh, drowning in the surf due to an undertow or maybe a stingray bite. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm very at home. Eating eat, eat, eating popcorn on a couch, curled up with a stingray. You know, maybe even the one that that killed Steve Irwin. Because I get along with everybody. I really do. I'm a people person. Oh, they're tasty. I love them with barbecue. You know, a lot of people talk down barbecue sauce and ketchup like they're like the niggers of the condiment world. But I, I gotta say, I like them. I kind of like them. Oh, it's crushed tomatoes. And they're they're like sweetened and pureed. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's worse than a Pee Wee Herman movie. Oh, my God. People bothered by ketchup. I mean, I'm bothered by everything. I'm not bothered by ketchup. I don't listen to it. You know what? I don't tolerate ketchup being talked bad about when I'm around. I stand up for ketchup. It's a little bit about who I am. You see, so what you say about yourself. No one cares what you say about yourself. They can smell you. You know? It's fucking I'm a hater. We're evil. Fuck you. You know? We don't we don't cast aspersions on your type. We merely point out how ridiculous you are. No, go around "Oh, you're you're motivated by hate and whatever." Most of you're delusional, except the ones I say genuinely do. They do. They do like seeing these rapes and murders. And that's part of the reason they cover them up. You see? <laughs> this is what's so ironic about it. If if this is why I, I try to get rid of all the uh, Christians off E.N.N. forum because even if you believe in the Christianity, I've given you much stronger Christian lines of argument against the anti-whites than, you, than the Christians themselves ever come up with. They've never made those points that I have. Like, God's against genocide, then why are 99% of the species non-existent? God created 100 species and he let 99% of them go extinct. 99 of them go extinct. You know, that that right there, or, or like I said about cis, subspecies competing for living space until one is utterly driven off and dominated and replaced by the other. If God's so against racialism, then, then why, why does that pattern obtain in nature? If God loves truth and honor and all these things, then why is deception everywhere in nature? I published that astonishing, astonishing nature photo that someone drug up of some caterpillar that can so contort its body as to appear like a poisonous snake, a venomous snake on a branch. It's absolutely stunning. And this sort of deception, this is one of the reasons I cover all this nature stuff, is everywhere in nature, everywhere, incredible parasitism and deception. Do animals, too, not express some aspect of God? Then God's all about deception. Christianity is basically a kooky mental system that if not dreamed up by a Jew to render whites nugatory in the evolutionary competition that I'm damn sure was soon found huh, to be just useful in that regard. And some of you people need to wake up. I've I pretty much lost hope for Parrot and, uh I don't know about Heimbach, but I mean, really, y- you can't be a Christian and a white man. It doesn't work like that, and you need to figure it out. <clears throat> All right, let's see. I think, you know, we'll leave it there for the moment. There's still about half this article to go. I'll cover the rest of it next time, then I'll get on to the uh, Mencken. I'll try to do that tomorrow. And I think I'll succeed. But like I said, you can't listen to what I say on that stuff. Because I can rightly be hauled off on often being wrong. But, you know, do what we can. Here's here's the two and a half hours tonight. Pretty good. I will pick it up tomorrow, hopefully during the middle of the day. We will finish this article. We will do some Mencken. And then uh, we'll do more next week. So, thanks for listening. And should I close it with a song? What do you think? I'm going to sing my other song. Oh, man. Uh, There's some songs i got to finish. All right. I'm going to sing My Love is Conditional. Leave your socks around in clots, stick young babies with your cock, hell just leave food in unwashed pots, I'll hate you cause my love is conditional, my love it do depend, my love is conditional, my love it has an end. Well, once there was a man away up north, his name was John When Gacy. He ripped and strangled teenage boys with their own dirty skivvies. And Mrs. Gacy said, love is conditional, my love it do depend. My love is conditional, my love, son, it has an end. So all you out there who love doing wrong and wouldn't be caught doing right, on Hell's Ember you're gonna toast and what I'm saying ain't spite. A little cheesy now, our love is conditional, our love it do depend, our love is conditional, our love it has an end, conform your behavior to established norms or inside a prison you'll stay, cause even if you color inside of the lines, no one likes it that much anyway, love is conditional, our love it do depend. Our love is conditional we ain't your pets my friend god uh, day hey.